Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Tuckians? What the fuckalos? And what the fuckstables? All of yous. How are you? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening to my show. Did you guys hear about this thing? Did you hear about this thing we're doing? Did you hear about the first 100 episodes of WTF available as MP3 files on DVD that is now available from AST Records? Yes, it's out. It's here. Go to astrecords.com slash WTF or you can go over to WTFpod.com to order a copy. Nice gift box, two DVDs, and on one of them is a live video WTF with Artie Lang and Ira Glass. Enough with this plugging. I just know that a lot of people who have come to the show late are constantly asking, uh, how do I get the first 100? How do I get the first 200? You can get the app, obviously, but this is a way. You're going to have the files now. Here you go. Reasonably priced, $49.99 for like over 100 hours of entertainment, 100 hours of audio, a couple hours video. Enough of that, okay? Let's move on. Let's talk about what's going on on the show today. Bob Zamuda, the raconteur, the the legend, the creator of Comic Relief and famous uh, partner of Andy Kaufman through all of it. You looking for Andy Kaufman stories? Step right up. The carnival starts here. We'll get to that in just a second. I, uh, I never saw Andy Kaufman, but I'll tell you, when I saw that uh, Carnegie Hall concert for the first time, changed my fucking life. In a way that it, he was just one of those guys where you're like, oh my God, uh, he really pulled that off. Unbelievable. But I know you Kaufman heads out there are going to dig this. It's a, it's a great talk and uh, <laughs> it, it goes on for a while. I had this weird experience where it happens occasionally. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a celebrity. I don't know that I'd call myself a star in, by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a known quantity kind of. I've sort of talked about this before, but I was at dinner recently with the uh, the lovely Jessica. The cat stayed at home. I don't uh, take them out to dinner. Uh, and uh, we're just sitting there eating our dinner, and as people will, uh, they, uh, they intrude upon my private time and space uh, to say things like, do we know you from somewhere? It was a family on the at the table next to ours. There was a mom and a dad and maybe a teenage daughter. And I'm looking at them and they look over at me. I could tell there was a little huddle, little family huddle about uh, they were playing the who is that guy game. So she turns to me and she goes, we know you from somewhere, right? You're an actor. And I go, I, I don't know. I, you know I'm, a, I'm a comedian. She goes, right, that's it. That's it. But I could tell she wasn't convinced. I could tell she was still scrambling to put me into some context, to to surround my face with a memory that she had of me. But it wasn't coming. And the and the the father was like, "All oh, right, yeah, sure, comedian." I'm like, "I I don't know. I I've done Conan O'Brien." They're like, "That that must be it." But I knew that it wasn't. I knew that that wasn't it, and they knew it wasn't it. So now I should just let it go and eat my dinner. But now I can't. I can't get it out of my head. Like, and I start summing them up. I'm like, where would they know me from? And then it dawns on me, here I am having dinner with my, my lovely girlfriend. I can't focus because I'm, uh, I'm playing the Mark Maron quiz game with, with, with his family across from me. I'm trying to play. I'm trying to get the answer to the question that they didn't even ask. Ridiculous. 
So I say, I lean in. Now I'm interrupting their dinner. Now I'm intruding. I'm like, real time with Bill Maher. They're like, that's it. That's it. And I'm like, did I get it? Did I win? Did I win the Mark Maron quiz game? Because uh, because I'm Mark Maron and I, sh- I should. it should have been enough. I should have been an answer just sitting here, but I'm not at that level of celebrity. I still had to go ahead and get involved in playing the uh, what's that guy's name and where do we know him from Mark Maron quiz game. I'm glad I came up with it. Everybody was very relieved. Bob Zamuda in the garage. We're talking. Uh, we're talking about the, the the price of fame. Yeah, the costs. <laughs> you know, I got to be honest with you, man. Uh, it, and this is just my bullshit. I here's how self involved and uh, grandiose I am. I thought like there's an outside chance that he's that Andy's coming. <laughs> like I thought, man, that would be the greatest WTF episode in the world if you came up with a sixty-year-old Andy Kaufman. Well, invite Tony Clifton, and maybe he'll take off the makeup. And well, who knows yeah. what's underneath? I, I didn't know. And when I when I saw you were coming on the show, yeah. I didn't know who I was going to interview, how we were going to do it. I was thinking of sending Tony, but I said no, no. No, it would have been too crass. We got to talk for an hour. Who knows? Might not have lasted ten minutes. No, yeah, Tony wouldn't have left his car in this neighborhood. He would have sat out there with what a hooker and the driver. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so now, yeah. as a guy who, like, I know you've been doing comic relief, and that's your brainchild, and that you know that's a huge thing, and it does a great service for the world. It's been going on for how long? Twenty six years now. Now, is it when does it happen? We do, you know, we we do it every few years. It depends. So when it's not a regular does. thing. It was it's a regular not, thing. It was more of a regular thing when my buddy, my ex comedy team partner, Chris Albrecht. Yep. You know, him and I had a comedy team. Chris, Chris Albrecht, who was uh, the head of HBO. He was the head of HBO. And uh, I think he what? believed he... Uh, we managed a club, too. Didn't he manage the improv He managed briefly? the improv for a while, He yeah. was a comedy team with you? Yeah, we started out. I met him in Summer Stock. And this guy... Th- hey, guys, folks. Without this name, this Chris Albrecht, this is the guy that brought the nation, so the Sopranos. Yep. Sex in the City. Yep. Oz, Six yep. Feet Under. Everything on isn't HBO. he over at Stars now? Or yeah, 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 yeah. and yeah, you know, and what it was amazing. I met him in Summer Stock. I went Where? to Carnegie, uh, uh, Mansfield, Pennsylvania. You went to Carnegie Mellon. I went to Carnegie Mellon for the theatrical. Uh, yeah, arts? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's summer. I'm at Carnegie Mellon to see a thing on that for Summer Stock. I go there and I meet this this you know this this other guy, and he, and Albrecht was kind of a put on artist like myself, and you know, and I thought I was I was I'm the star of this stupid fucking musical we were doing at the time you know you were in summer stock doing a musical summer stock, yeah doing the drunkard the musical version the, the yeah drunkard. and chris and, and chris came up to me i didn't know him too well you know it was kind of competition with the broads and stuff yeah and he came up to me he said you know uh bob uh, i didn't know i heard about your, your your acting bill and everything but i must tell you really blew everybody away and you see that beautiful girl that's standing over the corner there it's a little party out there she is so intimidated to want to come up to you. She's just like blown. I just want to let you know. Yeah. So I go, hey, great, thanks, dude. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, dude. Sure. You know. Yeah. So I thanks for up. the heads up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I go up to her. Yeah. No clue. Nothing. You made the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Up. The girl's kind of like, get away from me. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he walked her. up to her and says, "That guy bothering you?" Yeah. <laughs> just about. But you know, it's so funny. What? So then, what happened? I went to. Uh, so him and I became real good buddies. And I said, look, what, let's become stars. We're either going to go to Hollywood or New York. Now, well, were you a long hair then? Like, I'm trying yeah, to picture Yeah, yeah, my hair has not changed. Beard, the whole thing, like, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, pretty much. actor, did yeah, a little yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, trying right. to get laid. You got it. Okay. You got it. And so uh, we went to, I said, look, so we, we went to New York City uh, to become stars. 
thought like like overnight it would all happen. And oh, this really, is fucking. That's right. So it was the original improv that Albrick was. It was the original on Forty Fourth, Forty Fourth in Hell's Kitchen. I know. I, I was there at the end of that. Did you? Oh, you you walked in. Yeah. yeah when Silver had it, I I, yeah. I I worked there at the end yeah. when it was just a ghost. So I came into it Albrecht. You know, I, well, we didn't see the place yet. We went to New York and we starved to death, and we actually uh, lost our apartment and had to live in a theater, you know, dressing room. For, oh, really? For, for for quite a while, and then uh, one day I made a left turn. I I knew nothing about fucking comedy clubs. I made a left turn in front instead of a right. And I walked into the improvisation, the original first improv. comedy club in America, the original brick wall, the original brick, still there, not not the club anymore. Now it's a Greek restaurant. It's like an Italian, yeah, yeah, something. something. So, but anyway, I walked in there, and you have to realize bef- before there, before the the comedy thing takes off. This is the only place. There's nothing else. And it was a bit of a cabaret then, right? I mean, they, they had singing it, acts and... Well, it was called the improvisation right. because what it was, because Silver Friedman, Bud's wife, yes, was, was a dancer yeah. on Broadway. And so she convinced Bud that they need, in the whole wall, that they, there was no place for these actors to go and hang out oh. afterwards. So the idea, was, that's what was called the improvisation. So the actors are supposed to come there and improvise. But what started to happen is this stand-up guy started coming there because there was no place to go. There was the Bosch Belt, the Catskill. Right, it was a new generation of guys who wanted to do it yeah. that were inspired. Like because you, know, you still had the Bosch Belt, but there was the rest was just fragmented. Exactly. Know? So when I walked in, so it was. So I walked in and I, I went and I mean it was Freddie Prince. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Walker and Gabe Kaplan, and they were the first tier, and they all moved out to the West Coast because they all had the TV shows. Quickly. Quickly. Right. So something in me at 19 or 20 years old sensed that, hmm, I think something's happening And here. was Rick Overton there at the time? Yes, he was. Yeah. Rick Overton, Overton. Yeah, Overton. Uh, and, uh, John Mendoza, or was that later? Yeah, uh, Dom Irera, were they there Dom, yet? Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. So there's well, a well, Dom's a little later. Dom's yeah. a little later. Yeah. But here's what it was. So I went back to to our abode where this yeah, the dressing room, the dressing room with all bricked, and yeah. I said, "Fuck this acting bullshit." Mm-hmm. I said, "We need to put together," and this is Chris Albrecht, the yeah. one of the gods of comedy. I said, "We need to put together a comedy act," and he said, "Well, what's that?" Yeah. <laughs> it's Albrecht, right? The guy that would do more spring, more comedy mm-hmm. to HBO. And I said, well, it's just like you, you know, it's not, we won't do stand up because we're actors. So we'll be both on stage and we'll do sketches, you know, we'll do characters. There was a precedent set for that. There was a lot of sketch groups around. I just talked to there Fred was, Willard oh, oh, in the seven, you know, like yeah, uh, the. Well, there was the, the, not just the two guy thing. Right, five you know, guys. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. The, and those were always, later on, those never worked out, but, right. you know, unless it was uh, Second City in Chicago, right. you know, because it was just too costly yeah, yeah. to keep that many yeah. people together and ego and everything else so him and i threw an act together we went to the improv we got accepted so what so this is the gang of kids who, and we were all kids it was me chris albrecht larry david jay leno elaine boozler richard lewis uh joe piscopo it, it was amazing piscopo was around back then yes oh yeah oh yeah joe piscopo was around back then no before, kidding yeah before he got picked up from saturday night live that's where they saw him over at the improv yeah but he wasn't picked up in saturday night live till the 80s right yeah but he was in the he was in the club that's there. amazing i had no idea yeah, yeah, he had so been because you're talking about what are you talking about like 74 yes exactly uh-huh. 74 and uh so what happened is that uh uh, and and there, I'll never forget this. You know, talk about how crazy things get. There was one guy, that that one comedian there, and he had this broken down motorcycle. He always had grease on his head. And he, the guy, this was his main form of transportation in the winter even. Mm. To drive a motorcycle on the streets of New York in the winter is pretty fucked up. Was that Jay? 
It was Jay Leno. He had no money, and his hands were always greasy. And I remember Bud Freeman kept a, a, a big jar of uh, 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 lava or something yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. to get grease the off your hands. Soap, that pumice soap. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. That was underneath the sink, mm-hmm. always at the improv mm-hmm. for Jay. It was like pink. Yeah, that's like right. Green. That's the yeah, stuff. Yeah. yeah, and now and now Jay's got and in his in, in Jay's bedroom. Yeah, he's got a private elevator that goes down to three underground floors of, of machine of shops. over a hundred and eighty vintage cars. I thought you said he was gonna, he had it in his bed right over his bed. He had that soap. <laughs> That's kind of nasty. Lather up, my dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Gritty but, lather. <laughs> so what happened is that ICM realized there's this thing called stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. Hollywood decided that, you know what, instead of hiring writers and the write a show and design a character yeah, that may or around, may not work, yeah. build it around a guy's act that fucking works. That's all they were doing. Right. What was your act with, uh, with uh, Chris? Uh, it, it was just, you know, it was just topical stuff that went on grandma jokes you know any kind of improvisational stuff we did right you know movie themes but it was not your bag necessarily it wasn't uh yeah well we were actors no yeah no we actually people you know i mean we laugh about it now because we always said it's a shit act and i was uh uh, a couple years ago at some party and larry david came up to me and he said i heard you on the radio saying that you and albrecht sucked that's not he larry got really offended it wasn't even his act yeah he said you shouldn't be telling that you guys are pretty good yeah but anyway to cut to the chase bud instead of that said to Chris offered him this job to manage the place yeah. so the act was over he couldn't be the manager and also have right. the act there I became the bartender at the comedy at, at uh, the original uh, improv at the, uh, was improv. Uncle Dirty hanging around yes Uncle Dirty Bob Altman yeah all those guys and then uh, what happened is that ICM said hey this stand up we need to know who these young comics are and sign them up now well who knows that well the guy that manages this young kid chris yeah. albrecht who manages the improv in new york he knows who all these cats are yeah and so they take pull him away from bud they go hey chris and chris overnight becomes like this super agent for uh-huh. icm super agent huge because yeah. he's signing everybody and that's now, what broke up that's what broke open stand up yeah, exactly. And then modern stand up. And then the next thing that took place is that HBO had no was just identity with sports was based ma- mainly the sports the, and the pay bo- in movies. Yeah, and the yeah. boxing with yeah. Don King. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. So they said, "Hey, you know what? I think this comedy thing could Fuchs. work for us." Fuchs. Michael Fuchs, yeah. yeah. So Michael Fuchs and Bridget, a woman named Bridget Bridget Potter, Potter yeah, right. Decided decided, hey, you know what? We need to know who's on the cutting edge of comedy so we could sign these guys and give them TV shows. And they said, well, there's this hot agent over at ICM, Chris Albrecht. So Chris goes from managing a night manager of the shithole comedy club. Mm-hmm. The original shithole. The original shithole. <laughs> <laughs> Just to a huge, yeah. huge, huge career. And then, of course, once he gets implanted over at HBO, he uh, starts doing dramas. And like I said, he's the guy. Sure, that he was, was great. There'd be no Sopranos. We just, we, we, we just sort of went through about 25 years. Pretty good, huh? Pretty quickly. Yeah. And But like, what, getting back to the original improv, I mean, where, when did your relationship with Kaufman start? Well, this is interesting. Kaufman, so I'm the bartender there. Uh, and 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 Andy came in, and Andy would always come in in character as foreign man. Yeah. So he never schmoozed with the other comics. So he was one of he those... was in character. He was a he was a he would come in an hour before the show started because you remember the old improv. There was the bar area yeah, so on you the bought right. A ticket. You had a couple of drinks and waited yeah. for the room to empty with out. The rope. Then you went in with the yeah. rope. Get yeah. out of the aisle. Yeah. yeah but, you know, but Freeman. little room, very right. small room. Yeah. 
So, but so I'm the bartender now. Chris is the night manager, and and Albrecht, I mean, uh, Kaufman would always come in in character. This is amazing. And let me just go digress a little and just give you the first time I saw Andy. I go into the improv, uh, 1974, and uh, and I see this guy in the corner arguing with Bud before the show starts. He's got his suitcase. He's in the foreign man character, but nobody knows. I don't know. I think this guy's real. Take me, please. Can I please go on the stage? He's please. saying that to Bud. He's saying that to Bud. And Bud, and that they're not doing a real big presentational like they're doing a bit. Yeah. It's done. You almost got to eat, but you know something. And there are people waiting to go on the show. Yeah. And yeah. you know something's going on. Yeah. So so you kind of put your ear by yeah. I'm always looking for an accident to happen yeah. or something. Yeah. I love yeah. that shit. Yeah. So I'm listening to this shit and going, this poor son of a bitch. You know? yeah. <laughs> and Bud's going, no, we can't put you on. And so then you see the whole show. You forget about this guy. Yeah. And then Bud at the end of the night would go, ladies and gentlemen, uh, now, I usually don't do this, but I don't know if you saw one Was Bud came. hosting the shows? Yeah, Bud would always be the host, the MC. And he said, I don't usually do this, but there's a guy here, a very nice guy, and he just got off the bus from yeah. the Greyhound bus for his night, you know, and he thinks he's going to be performing at the improv. Yeah. Please, we have auditions once a month on a Monday night. So don't tell your friends to come and do this, but he's a nice, I'm, it's up to you Doing folks. him a favor. Yeah, you want to, yeah, so well, let's get him up here. So he comes up and Andy goes, thank you very much, you know, and, you yeah. know, and you're just watching, I'm watching this. And he starts with the jokes and impression, and you know, I'd, I'd like to do the Archie Bunker. Yeah. You meathead, get out the meat chair. You, and it's just terrible impressions, yeah, I remember you know. Those, yeah. And people going, oh God. This is really this, bad. This, and it's, but it's really bad. It's not like a guy trying to, you really believe this poor son of a bitch. And people, and but you're laughing so hard. And I, there were guys for the I'm wrong laughing. reasons. Yeah, and I, I saw guy girls hitting their boyfriend. How say, bad is Quit it? laughing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna go out with you again. Yeah, that mm-hmm. poor man. Yeah, I'm actually sitting there, and a guy gets up, and Bud would always be in the back with that little control desk, and yeah. he had the light and the yeah. mic. There isn't much shit. Two lights, I think, mm-hmm. two spotlights or something. Mm-hmm. And the podium. And, and a guy came. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. guy. Yes, right. Mm-hmm. And a guy came up to him and said, uh, "You said, Bud. Uh, you know, I said, I said you should call nine one one because this guy's gonna kill." This is awful. Mm-hmm. This is just awful. Someone said that to him. To Bud, yeah. 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 And now Kaufman, foreign man, realizes that the audience is not laughing with him, but at him. Yeah, yeah. And he crashes and burns and hacks, breaks down with terrible sobbing. Yeah. I mean, you felt so fucking bad. I mean, really, the people were laughing mm-hmm. felt so fucking bad because you could see this kid's dream is out the window. Yeah. And then he said, I'd like to do the last impression. And he turns around, and all of a sudden... The Elvis music yeah. starts 2001. The lights change. He puts on the jacket, and you go, what? And he turns around, you know, and he turns around, drop dead fucking Elvis. Yeah. And he goes in, and people are like, you're dead. This guy fucked you up big yeah, time. Yeah. And then after the Elvis, instead of just like, hey, how you doing? He goes, thank you very much. Back to that character. So I, you are so confused and amazed. I'm like, what the fuck is... Is this guy for real? That's always the question with Kaufman. Is this for real? And he, he kind of carried that mantra throughout his whole career. And so finally, I'm, I hang, this is the first time I saw him. So I go outside because I, you know, I wait till the club's closing and he's got a car out there. So he never came on the bus. He's got, he used to have his dad's yeah. car. He has yeah. his trunk up. His and, dad's car. How old is oh, yeah. he at this point? 19? No, no, 20? maybe about 22. Yeah. And But what happens he, is that he sees me on the side and he had all kinds of props, Mark. 
and he says to me, he says, can, I have bad back. Can you can you help me, please? He's got so I'm loading congas. He had a 16 millimeter projector, which was a big, heavy fucking thing. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. he had you know he had magic as he had puppets, symbols, all kinds of crap. And I'm carrying this stuff. I'm putting in the trunk of his car, and I no sooner get the last thing in the trunk of this car that he turns to me, he goes. Thank you very much, sucker. And then he jumped and he pulled it. That was it. That's my first meeting with Andy Kaufman. So when he came into the club at, at that time, I mean, my image is like just from being in comedy for as long as I've been in, when you meet somebody that's sort of uniquely talented and socially awkward, it's. I don't picture him with a lot of friends. I picture that people don't really know what to do with well, him. Well, like I said, when he came in, he'd yeah. always be in character. But did, but did he have friends? Uh, uh, it, yeah, the guys knew him, you know, because sometimes. But did they know him as the weird guy? No, no, they knew the oh, real okay. Andy, but uh. he would. Draw, but Andy, you know, Andy was kind of like foreign man, but without the accent. So he always t- tapped into a little. You know, Andy was awkward. He was. Uh, Andy was w- w- real womanizer. The ones that he would. The, the only ones he would really talk to in the clubs were like the waitresses. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that's where him and Elaine Boozler became mm-hmm. lovers. You know. Yeah. So, but the guys and and. And it was, it, Jay Leno said it best. He said, you know, when somebody asked Jay, did you ever get like jealous early on of Andy? He, he said, no, none of us did because what he was doing was so foreign to what we were doing. It was like, we're speaking English and he's speaking Chinese. Well, he sort of cut out this, like, it's weird because now I don't know how much comedy you watch anymore, but like no. having been in the clubs for 25 years, that there, there are sort of archetypes. It's almost like uh, Commedia della Arte, that there seems to be forms of stand-up that repeat themselves, you know, every 10 years or so, that there's a model. And Kaufman, you know, created this, this zone, this model, and there are people that are going to try to honor that, which means it's it's a free for all. Do whatever you want. Fuck with the reality, and uh, you know, go in and out of characters so no one really knows what's really going on. Exactly. And it's yeah. it's rare that somebody can do it well. Yes, you're a lot of guys call me up and they'll say, and I don't want to say names. They'll say I'm doing I'm I'm doing Leno. You got to watch it. It's just like what Andy would do, and I watch it and go, oh brother, because you, the, you yeah, off, you know? yeah, because the the balls necessary to do that are, are so uh, deep. I mean, it, it and he sort of kept that through his entire career that there was really no fear of the audience completely. Fu- Fucking hating him because he did see. Like I said, it goes back to the '60s. This is what we were talking about earlier. Okay. It goes back to the six. Andy Kaufman came out of the '60s. Like I said, we were just talking about on Wall Street. Now they're complaining, give us the jobs. Back then, you were you were doing well if you didn't have the job. Fuck the man. Yeah, fuck them. If you had a job, you were square. You were a door. Got it. You weren't part of what yeah. was happening in the in the youth movement, right. the counterculture. So Kaufman was a product of that. Kaufman came from a rich family. He had a black nanny. You know, his dad was in the jewelry business in Great Neck. Classic Jewish upbringing. Yeah, and he rebelled against it. He left the house when he was about... Andy Kaufman used to have hair longer than me. A big beard. You should see the early pictures of him. And he was a real hippie, and he left. He left his house, and he lived into the. He moved into the city park, and and lived on and, and slept on a park bench just for, because. So he for, was an upper middle just, class, yeah, rich just, kid, just to fuck with the family, right? And, just to say fuck. And you. the cops wouldn't arrest him. Go, go, go! That's Stanley Kaufman's kid. <laughs> Stanley was well known in the community. He had money, so they just left him alone. But Andy used to take every kind of fucking drug there was. He he was a, a teenage alcoholic. Didn't he knock some woman up? Yes, yes, and. He, yeah, he he he, uh, he got a girl pregnant when he was eighteen. She was eighteen. They, of course, the parents did the right thing and decided they put the kid up for ab- adoption. So fine. Here's and here's what's so weird. 
of how these careers take place. And his is one of the weirdest. So he goes to a Graham Junior College. Yeah. Okay, which is a shit college. It doesn't even exist anymore. It's yeah. in Boston. He goes to Graham Junior College and into the uh, uh, TV department, TV yeah. production. At a community college? At a community a college. two-year school in Boston. Yeah, and right. so his parents right. are disappointed in him. No, they're yeah. happy. At least he's doing that movie. Right, okay. And he's there, and he's 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 once, you know, and he, he's, he's taking TV classes and whatnot, and and a girl, and, and one day in the cafeteria, this hot-looking chick comes up to you know, She's walking around the cafeteria and asking people if they have any talent because she's supposed to put on a talent show the next night mm-hmm. for, at, the, at the student union, you're right? And she obviously doesn't have any talent of gathering anyone. So she comes up to Andy. He says, no, no. He says, no, I don't do anything like that. And, and But she's really hot. So he goes, well... There was something when I was 11 years old. I used to put on these children parties. He'd put a sign up at the food store mm-hmm. for four dollars for your kids' part. He would entertain mm-hmm. the cow goes moo, mighty mice, all this kids shit. Where'd you get this information? He told you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, well, of course. My best friend. You yeah. Know? And and so what happens? So he then at Graham Junior College, so this girl saying this to him, and she says, well, "Well, wait a second. You you had an action." He said. He said, no, this is something I did when I was 11 years old. He said, she said, please, 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 please. Mm-hmm. And she's coming on to him a little. Says, okay, I'll be there tomorrow night. So he goes to the coffee club the next night. He has a guitar, and he that's when he has the record player. Here I come to save the day. The might Now, these are adults, you know, college kids and adults sitting in the audience. You know, it was like oh, wine and they're smoking and everything else. But he really thought this would get him laid? Yes, that's the only reason he did it. How is that going to get you laid? Because he was helping this girl. I know, but it was well, terrible, he just thought, right? yeah, yeah. But what happens? He starts doing this this kid show, yeah. and it takes off like wildfire. People are on the floor. It is so different, and he and afterwards he's thinking to himself, my, because he had no idea what he's going to do in his life. Yeah, but he knew one thing: he could see people rolling in the aisle. Yeah, he had never been on. You know, he had never performed. Before that, he had only performed it for kids. Was he an innately funny guy? I mean, like, if you were sitting there talking to him, I mean, was his, like, like... Yes, was, yeah, 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 of course. Well, yeah, but just naturally. You right. Know, yeah, it's, he had no, you know, never wanted to be a stand-up or anything like that. But he was a funny guy. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Oh, all day, 24 hours a day. Yeah. You know, it was a, life was a cosmic joke to him. That's why he could comment on it, you know? And so what happened, he then goes, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. So he drops out of college, he drops out of this school, and he says he's now going to become. He knows what he wants to do in life. He's now going to become a star. Yeah. But before he does, he's a huge Elvis fan. Right. But before he does this, he needs to go and see Elvis Presley. So it's 1969. Right. He hitchhikes. He has no money. Yeah. He hitchhikes from Great Neck all the way to Las Vegas. He goes to see Elvis. Now. What I mean here is he's not going to see the show. He has no money. Yeah. He doesn't care to see the show. Yeah. He wants to meet Elvis himself. Yeah. And he knew everything about Elvis. He knew that Elvis was, at the time, was fucking everything that moved. So Elvis always carried out, like, a, a, a gun in his boot because, like, he figured, like, pissed off husbands and boyfriends wanted to kill him. You know? Right. So Elvis never never went down the, uh, he only went down the service elevator from his room. Sure, okay. And back then, you know, in those days, Mark, you know, they had the kitchen. Because then, you, for those Vegas shows, you ate and you saw the show in the same room. They mm-hmm. don't do that anymore. Right. Or they, you know, but the old Vegas stuff, 
stuff with smaller Sinatra. hotels, lounge acts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so Andy knew this about Elvis that Elvis was going to con. So he was obsessed with Elvis. So he sneaks into about two in the afternoon yeah. over into the Hilton Hotel. He brings a gallon jug, empty jug that he could hissing yeah. and he hides in a closet off off the kitchen knowing that elvis is going to go through yeah it. so about quarter to eight elvis and the memphis mafia red and sunny west are coming down and andy steps out of this thing and andy described it to me he said he said bob it was like i was sir han or sir, sir han or something yeah i stepped out you know he's here's this thin little yeah. you know skinny uh Little Jewish boy, you know, that, that offered, you know, the, the West brothers went for the guns right away. Yeah. But Elvis went, whoa, 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 because he could see this this kid offered was no threat. Yeah, yeah. Right? And I'm telling you, this is th- this would change everything in Andy's life. And he stopped, and Elvis stopped, and looked, and he said, he said, Mr. Presley, I just want you to know that I am your biggest fan. Well, thank you very much. And he said, and I'm your biggest fan, and someday I want to be famous like you. And Elvis Presley looks Kaufman straight in the eyes takes his hand and puts it on his shoulder, Andy's shoulder, and says, I believe that will happen. And that was it. And he walked away. Now, get this. This is true. I believe that will happen. Two and a half years later. I feel now, like so I, I, Andy I, goes back to New York. Now, he goes to see Bud I, Freeman. I, I feel like you're a blind homer telling me about Odysseus. <laughs> Andy goes back yeah. to New York. He goes, goes to the Emperor, yeah. puts him on. After then, he said the confidence that Elvis, he, he said he felt like, like you know, it was like the Pope giving you the blessing or something, you know? Yeah. And and he said, you know, a made man like in Goodfellas or something. Mm-hmm. He said, and just charged him so. He went to New York two and a half years from that meeting with Elvis. Andy Kaufman was the hottest cabaret act in New York City. Did he credit Elvis? Other, yes. oh, yeah. outside of to just you did he say did yeah, he tell other people oh yeah if you knew andy in the story of course he told he told you that elvis put the juice in him yeah and uh, yeah absolutely but what what's interesting so now andy is over at uh, bud freeman's improv there's jay leno there's, there's lane boozer there's richard lewis uh, yeah. all these other guys and everybody now is going because now remember there's just that one comedy club yeah so the only place you get to work now is in the catskills or in the Playboy club circuit. Yeah. So people don't realize, Hefner did a lot for stand-up comic. There was no... Cause oh, no, no, he did a lot for a lot of, a lot yeah. of counterculture acts. It, the transition from the sort of Eisenhower mentality to the new mentality, like he was sort of there because he had he was all Very about the, important figure in the... Yeah, yes, with yeah. music and everything life. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he's old and they joke and everything. No, he was like the powerhouse, first, first Amendment warrior. Lenny Bruce, yeah. the whole thing, Mort yeah. Saul, all that shit that yeah. came down. Well, now, what in yeah. terms of your relationship with him when like because when he was doing the improv it was he was doing the mighty mouse thing yeah he was doing uh, the elvis bit uh he had a few set pieces correct that would either go long or short was he doing the was he reading f scott fitzgerald at that time um, or the great gatsby the great gatsby or, yeah <laughs> yes yeah. so but there was only when bud, bud wanted him to clear the room because some people would sit there and they want to uh you know, like a few people, the club would be losing money because, you know, it's like three, four people left. And it's like three in the but morning. But they're drinking or, and they're right. not leaving and you don't want to say you got to go, you know. So he would send that. So Bud would just say, send Kaufman up. And he'd go up there with yeah. the book, with, with the, the book. book. With and the then, book. then after a while, even if you were drunk, go, <laughs> fuck, I'm out of here. <laughs> 
so Kaufman and and uh, and Bud had a, a real understanding, and 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 yeah, it was and, like father and son. And really, Bud really, yeah, loved really him, loved him. Yeah, and because Andy Bud's, died, he, Bud Bud was crushed. I he's remember. a difficult guy, Bud. Yeah, yeah, he was. But when it came to Andy, it was you know he just it was I, you know what it was it was probably a talent that he couldn't wrap his brain around. That you yeah. know, I think that Bud can can see things in people, and he can see how comics behave, and he's got a real sense of that. But I bet you Andy was just off the. But but board. you know what? This thing that happened, Bud. Bud never was able to make the move of of taking any of those guys and running with them. He tried a few, but he always stayed that club owner. Well, there's something about the that. The industry it's would a, not let him move further than that. But that, but then he know? went ahead and built an empire right under their nose. Yes, so yeah. I, you know, he was so essential. He had, he had that, but I think he always wanted to be more than that. Really? Yeah. But, oh, absolutely. I know he did. He wanted to be a, a, a Broadway producer and everything. He did some off-Broadway. Off now, when did the, the collaboration start? Because I, I know you, you, you've become the sort of uh, the keepsake of a legacy. An yes, oral yes. Uh, in the, the oral tradition, oh, yes, absolutely. But uh, when did the actual collaboration start between you two? Well, like I said, Andy wouldn't wouldn't, wouldn't be talking to many guys at the Improv or anything, you know. So he and and then what happened is I, uh, and I wasn't making much money at the Improv. So Chris Albrecht was managing. He was making money. He was doing okay, but he yeah. was creating a career there. And so, did he always know that he was creating that career? No, not at all. I don't. Yeah. I don't think anybody knew anything, and I don't anybody think anybody was really thinking career wise. Well, I don't it, think that was the idea. But I just love the idea that you yeah. know this is the gutter of show business. Yeah. But it, yeah. and then all the people that were in that gutter transcended and integrated. It into was Hell's show. Kitchen. Yep, I know. It was Hell's Kitchen. I mean, and nobody was, had and, shit. And, and that meant something then because that was a fucking war zone. Yeah. In the, in the early seventies. Yeah, but yeah. It's, but did, people did it for because that's all they could do. Yeah. That's what they did. Yeah. Nobody in a billion years ever thought. That they would probably even make a scratch out of living yeah. from it, let alone become the Jay Leno's right. and, and, and those people's names that I named. Yeah. The Larry David's. You you know, it's, it's unbelievable. What was it when you saw Larry in those days? Was he like, could he? Was... He was so neurotic, <laughs> David, that, and if you sat, if you were just in the back and you talked comic, to somebody, yeah. a comic, you talked to another comic, you weren't, like, you weren't even watching him or anything, yeah. you know? He thought you were talking about him. He'd get so fucking neurotic and so upset and come up to you afterwards and, what were you guys saying? Hey, man, you know? Yeah. You know, you know? And Larry, we weren't even talking about you. But was he, you know? was at that the time where he couldn't quite stay on stage if he didn't think that they were appreciating him? Oh, yeah, he was, he, he, the guy, the first line on stage, if it didn't get a reaction, he just wanted to leave. <laughs> It was the craziest <laughs> and thing. And Jay was pretty slick from the beginning? Jay was Jay. Jay has not changed at all. Jay was, because Jay's really the stand-up joke, you know, yeah. stand-up punch. Jay's, Jay's, you know, Jay is, Jay's not stream of consciousness. Jay's yeah. Rodney Dangerfield, yeah. you know, and a young man. So, okay, it's so just, you're not making money. Yeah. No one's making money. So, so, I, so Chris then says, he calls me one day and I'm going, oh, shit. And he says, Smuda, I got the greatest job for you. There's a very famous screenwriter, right? by the name of Norman Wexler. In my book, I call him Mr. X. Yeah. Okay? And he needs an assistant, and, and he's, he's going to pay you, he's gonna pay you $2,000 a week. I went, what? What are you talking about? It's $2,000 a week. you got to jump on this right away, and he's going to teach you how to write, write screenplays. Now, this Norman Wexler wrote a movie called Joe, what, what big film in, in the 60s. With uh, Peter Boyle. Peter Boyle. That's an insane he, movie. He wrote Mandingo. Mm. He wrote Saturday Night Fever, yeah. He wrote Serpico. Yeah. The list goes, uh, this is a major guy, but he says, but I just want you to know, you'd be perfect for this mood, but he is a little eccentric. Mm. I said, okay. I said, he said, I said, well, what, how can I meet this guy? He says, 
tomorrow at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it's like Wednesday afternoon, he's going to be at the improv here, you know, in the afternoon, and, and meet him, talk to him right away before he hires somebody else. I said, okay, yeah, great, great. Yeah. So the next day comes, you know, and I'm sitting there, and uh, I get to the improv about uh, an hour early because yeah. I don't miss anything. Chris is in there they're, they're cleaning up the floors. Yeah. But but the place was open because Bud would like have drinks open for like a lot of the, the, the riffraff off yeah. the street. There's some like homeless guy in the corner, you know. Yeah, yeah. Remember there's a homeless guy in the corner he had no shoes on yeah, yeah. and his feet were black, you yeah. know, and you know, and yeah. Bud's giving a bowl of soup or something. And I'm sitting there and uh, I'm sitting there and two o'clock, you know, two o'clock comes. The guy doesn't come in. Two fifteen, two thirty. You know, and uh, and I I I I'm going fuck. This is bullshit. And I call Chris up. I said, Hey, the guy didn't show. Norman Wexler didn't show up. He said, Are you sure? Yeah. He said, well, Are you sure he's not there? Yeah. I said, Well, describe him. And I said, No, there's only some old bum here with his shoes and black feet and everything. He said, That's him. <laughs> no, come oh, on. That's him. Yeah. So I go up to him and introduce myself, and I'm going to give my Norman Wexler impression. Yeah. And I say, I go home, I said, uh, hi, Mr. Wexler, I'm Bob Zmuda. You are an asshole. Uh, you looking for a job? Okay, here's the test. He says, can, can you keep your fucking mouth shut for five fucking minutes? Let's start with that. So I'm sitting across from the guy. And the guy is literally, he has no shoes on. This is winter. He has no socks on. His feet are black from walking around the streets of New York, right? Now, of course, he had a limo sitting out there because he's very rich, totally eccentric. He has this outfit, this oh, this outfit with with kind of like medals, and he designed his own uh, military Come outfit. Come on, from Norman Wexler. And so I'm sitting, there and he says, and then he says, and so after five minutes, you know, and I'm sitting there, and he's timing me. He's got this Rolex, and he's timing me. And after five minutes, he looks and he says, "Okay, one question." What nationality are you? Now, in Wex, I know he's Jewish. And yeah. Right? And I'm going, here I go. I'm going to say Polak. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting this fucking job, yeah. you know. I put his relatives in the oven. You yeah. Know? So said, <laughs> you did it. Your yeah, family. I did, my family yeah. did it. You know, you know so I said, uh, Polish. He goes, Polish? He says, you're hired. I always felt the real reason Hitler wanted to destroy the Poles is because they were developing extraordinary powers of ESP. Come on. This is what the guy says. Now we go out to the limo. Yeah. Limo waiting for us. We'll go inside. My job, which lasted about three weeks, was every morning we'd get up, we'd go, when the bank opened, we'd go in, I'd go in with a suitcase, and we would pull out anywhere between twenty-five to $30,000 a day to have in the suitcase. This money would be used. We'd go through that money every day would be used to pay people off not to throw him in jail or not to try to beat him up. I'll explain what he was doing here. Wexler Serpico, Saturday Night Fever. He was known as, besides those films, he was known as the doctor. In other words, if you had a screenplay, if you were doing a movie and you had a screenplay that took place out on the streets yeah. and you needed real street dialogue, there's only one guy that could do it, write it. Yeah. And it was Wexer. Because when people get upset and everything, they don't talk like guys write things. Yeah. They breathe differently. And he had this ear for it. And the reason he had the ear for it is because my job was he'd hire assholes like me. And my job was to follow him around all day with a Panasonic tape recorder going 24 hours 
okay? And then what we I would do is then he would continually all day get in confrontations with people. I mean big-time confrontations where people wanted to kill him, right? And I would record this. After every about every four days, I would take all those tapes and send it to a stenographer who would break it down. And this is how he would get his dialogue for the motion picture. Come on. This is Wexler. Now, I'm waiting for a fucking punchline. Yeah, well, wait. And now on my back, I have another tape recorder, okay? And that is playing back. And I had this, I got my watch. I got this all timed out. Every hour it goes off. When I, I got, they had the 60 and 90 minute uh, cassette tapes to put in. And, uh, and, and in the back, I, I am playing back to the second of what we recorded 24 hours previously. And one day I said to Norman, I said, Norman, uh, let me ask you, why are, why are we playing that? Back? Why, why? He says, because I want to hear if my brain, brain has grown any in the last 24 hours. But we would record these things, and now we would hit the streets of New York and get in co- all these confrontations. Example, uh, he'd, he'd rent limos, didn't have his own limo. Every other day he'd rent a limo, jump in a limo. One day it's like snowing like hell in New York, you know, and a lot of time the limo driver, he wants that window down because he wants to hear who this guy is and listen, yeah. you know. Yeah. So Norman rolls down his windows and the snow's blowing in on us. Yeah. Now this limo's costing him an arm and a leg. Right. But you might as well be on a fucking bicycle. Mm-hmm. The snow is, we're driving there and the snow's coming in. Well, the limo driver, he puts his window up. He doesn't want this cold air coming in there. Yeah. Norman's, you know, put that window down. Put that. I'm paying you. Put that window. Put your windows down. So we're driving around New York, and the car is just filling with snow. The limo in the yeah. front, and you know, and finally, the guy says, "I can't take." He says, "I don't care what you're paying me. I'm freezing my ass. Get out of my fucking limo." Yeah. But he'd be, and he say, "What are you, you fucking Jew hater?" And he would get at these fucking fights and whatnot. <laughs> I mean, it was fucking nuts. One day we go down to the, the, the to the village. This is fucking nuts. We go down Come to on. little. We go down to little Italy. Yeah. We go down to Little Italy, and there's a, one of the Italian restaurants, and, and, and the signs on it says closed. Yeah. And uh, there's like a mafioso guy sitting in front of it. We see people going inside, though. It's a party for one of the mafioso's moms, who's like 85 years old. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so this is a Little Italy when it was really Little Italy. When it really was, the yeah. The clubs were there. And, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, I, he's a, he, so he says he sees this line, people going in, so he stops the limo, and we get out. And he says, okay, and he walk and, and you know, and I you know, he's he's got he looks filthy and long hair and everything. And so but he walks in and they said, Excuse me, this is a private party. He says, you know, he for uh, you know, he's a private party, he says, Oh, oh, oh no, I was good friends with her. You know, I'm good friends with her, you know. So they let us in. Come so on. we're sitting there and there's maybe about eighteen people. This is this is hot, big time you know, the old lady's up there, they got a birthday cake and everything. I'm sitting next to Norman. You know, with your I'm, microphone? Oh, oh yes. Oh, the whole thing. So I'm re- I'm 24 hours recording. I just change things. Yeah, come on. It never stops. And he, so what happens? He puts the tape in, uh, and and at one point, Norman and I don't know. I think he knows these people. You didn't suspect anything. No, okay. I don't know. No, yeah. and they glenn him, and he's I know. I don't know. You know yeah. how he even knew about this thing was going on, and and he opens up. He always had this crazy uh, suitcase that he carried, a little suitcase. We had nunchucks in there and porno, you know, and then he has and and he. And he stands up and he takes the National Enquirer. And it was that famous shot on the National Enquirer of JFK. Uh, uh, dead. Dead. Yeah. On, that, on the slab. Yeah. That famous picture. Yeah. And, and the National Enquirer ran around the cover. Yeah. And 
and the t- title was was Mafia Kills JFK. And he stands up and he holds this newspaper up in front of everyone and he says, hey, granny, look what your son's been up to. They grabbed us, I'm telling you, and they take us in the back of this fucking, I thought we are dead. I mean, the old lady's crying. These guys, these are mafia guys. This is her fucking birthday. Yeah. They're so fucking upset. Yeah. You know, they're going to kill us. Yeah. And the only thing that, that I did, l- luckily I was smart enough and I told him, I lied to the, the guy whose mother it was, who was beside himself. I said, you have to realize Norman's, Norman's mom died last week. He wants to die. He's yeah. great. And, and that's the only thing that affected him. Yeah. And they, they threw us out of there. But this is what would take place continually. Now, I got one. This is the killer. So one day we are driving now in great uh, a little a little suburb outside of New York, and I can't remember what it was. And we and he we're, we're in the limo once again, Westchester or something. Yes, no. something like that. Yeah. yeah uh, and, and and there's a little bakery. It's about three in the afternoon, yeah. and there's a little bakery. And he says, "Pull over." He says, "I want a donut." So we get out, and I go inside. I think, okay, it's just going to be a fucking donut. He won't go in. You know, he says, your tape running? I go, yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, good, good. He goes inside. <laughs> and the little bell rings, right? And there's like maybe three or four old ladies lined up behind yeah. their stuff. But he walks in. He says, he says, I want a glazed donut, you know? And the woman, I think her name was like Flo or something yeah. like that, behind the counter, she looks at him and she says, excuse me, sir, you'll have to take a number like everyone else. Now, you don't say this to Norman Wexler, yeah. and this what really scared me. He takes the number, yeah. and he waits. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, you have no idea. This, the devil has just walked in. Yeah. You have no idea, and he waits. Yeah. And finally, the other women done it. She says, yes. She says, okay. You know, he's been a good boy yeah. now. She says, okay, um, what was that, a glazed donut you said? No, I've changed my mind says i want those and these and he starts pointing to everything in the cases yeah. and whatnot and she's and you know and i want that and i want all those cakes and all those breads and he's going going on like this yeah you know and she says and, and she realizes he doesn't like her she doesn't like yeah. him she says sir we're not here to waste people's time you know what is it you want she says i'm not fooling with that he says zmuda tell her and i say miss trust me he wants to buy it all open the case and i open the case 30 fucking thousand dollars Right, and we start counting and, and what and whatnot. So he starts buying everything. Well, now the other women who are working there go, they go back, and they get the baker who owns the place, and yeah. he comes out. You know, and Norman sees him congr- and gives the guy you know a thousand dollars just yeah. because it's his place. Yeah. So the guy just thinks this is like Monty Hall. From yeah, yeah. Make a deal. It's, it's a just joke. walked in. Where's Alan Fun? Yeah. So he's buying every fucking thing in the front, and then once he does all that. We go back into the kitchen area, yeah. and now he wants to buy what's in the walk-in freezers and everything. Come on. Tons of everything. Come and on. you got the bakers there. Yeah. And he decides now, he not only wants to buy the whole place out, he wants to go through every ounce of sugar, every ounce of flour, every cup of milk. So these... He's going to have them making this stuff and everything else. I get on the phone. I get a U-Haul truck to come and pick this shit up. Yeah. We're there for hours where this is going on. And people, yeah. and, and he says, Muda, go get beer for the guy. So I go, you know, and they, they, these little 
you know, uh, bakers, they're drinking, everybody's high as a kite. And now he starts with the women there. He says, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. He says to the baker, he says, you know, it's it's so hot in here. And it was really hot. And they, yeah. they had that those ovens blazing. Yeah. Things were coming out. They're going right, hot right <laughs> into the come fucking on, truck. Yeah. So he, what happens is that yeah. they come out, I'll never forget this, is that uh, he says to the baker, he says, it's hot. He says, hey, Luigi, he says, I'll tell you, he says, tell you what. 500 bucks take your pants off you got you got underwear on yeah yeah okay tell you, it's hot and take it off yeah so he gets these guys just to their underwear and their shirts off give for like 1500 bucks yeah they're all laughing they're drinking yeah. you know they got their dago, dago tees on yeah. these are old guys yeah. the old bakers yeah. you know and then he starts with the women who are working there who are the ones you know the cashiers and yeah. everything he says to them he says oh yeah i'll tell you what it's hot in you don't have to take keep your girdle because the old lady says yeah. keep your girl and bra on but i'll tell you what you take that blouse off and Smuda here is going to give you fifteen hundred bucks. Yeah, count it out, Smuda. Yeah, and they're all you know they're going. What the hell, you know? It's Come all on. big ones, except this flow, the one who couldn't stand. Yeah, him. and he, I'll never forget. It. He he focuses on her at yeah. the end, and he focuses on her, <laughs> and she won't do it. He's always he said, "Let me ask you this, flow. What does your husband do for in, uh, do for a living?" She won't talk. Another woman said, uh, "He's a truck." Oh, it's a truck driver. So let's say maybe he makes, and back then it was maybe like eighteen, nineteen thousand yeah. dollars a year. This was fucking years ago, yeah. you know. And he says eighteen fucking. He's on the fucking road. He's popping pills to stay fucking awake. Eighteen thousand dollars. I'm offering you five thousand dollars to take off that blouse and to take off that skirt, and you can't do it. <laughs> Yeah. And the other people around say, Flo, dude, he gets up to about $15,000. That woman is sitting there. She won't undo one fucking button. Yeah. And she's her brain will never be the same. Yeah. I can see it in her eyes. Yeah. She hates him. She's tearing and everything else. She won't do it. And I'll never forget walking out of the place. Finally, he went through everything. Everything was done. There wasn't anything left in the place. Everything was in the U-Haul truck. We were leaving. And this is when I realized the guy was fucking total genius. We walk out of the place, and I'm the last guy, right? Everybody else is counting their money. They're all drunk. They're in their underwear and bras yeah. and, and yeah. girls. Flo sitting there, dressed perfectly. She's, those will never be the yeah. same. And I walk out, and I look back, and then I see the genius of it all. He left one thing. One glazed donut. <laughs> True fucking story. Come on, Zamuda. That's Norman. Well, anyway, so now he would, Wexler would come. I have to the, believe that? Ask anyone. Ask anyone. Ask okay. Freeman, right. Ask anyone. All right. He was known in New York. So he would come to the improv at times. Yeah. But he always would start such trouble. But the next day he'd always give Bud like a couple thousand dollars or five. So Bud went, fuck. So as when Norman would come in, Bud, because the guy really would start fights with people and everything, Bud would just walk out and leave, yeah. leave it to Albrecht or all of us to have to deal with this guy because he was out of his fucking mind, yeah. right? Well, so so it be, he became so famous. So Andy knew about him. Andy is fascinated by a character like this. Yeah. There's a lot of Tony Clifton, a lot of Norman Wexler in Tony Clifton. Bigger than lot, biggest ego you've ever fucking seen in your life, and he says, and what, and and and, so now Andy knows mm. I'm working with Wexler. Where's Moody? He says to Chris, he says, oh, he got a job with Norman Wexler. Really? Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. So now when I would come in, Andy, who wouldn't give me the time of day, hi Bob, 
he wants to hear the stories. Yeah. And I have tons of, because I work for three weeks. I mean, I mean, every day was insane like this yeah, with this yeah. fucking... For th- three weeks of your life. Three weeks. Change your life. I, not only that, I'm getting paid $2,000 and I'm probably grabbing another $2,000, if not more, out of the suitcase because he doesn't give a fuck. And this is all movie money. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is all movie money. Yeah, he's one of the... And he's th- just... But was there ever a time where he was on the level? Yes. Oh, yeah. This. Yeah, he'd go off his medication. Oh, he was married, had kids... You know, no, he was bipolar. So this is like some Howard Hughes crazy bullshit. Well, not not Howard he, Hughes, but he was bipolar before people really knew what it yeah, was. Yeah, exactly. It so was he's probably it, on it was lithium really, or oh, yeah, sodium yeah, pentothal. Yeah, yeah, Who yeah, the fuck knows? Sad. This is when he would become creative and nuts like that. But that's when he would write. If he was clean and so, and and if he wasn't by, he was normal. He couldn't write a fucking word because he wouldn't go. But he f- discovered this technique of going on the street and hiring somebody. I should have known because when I first went. To get the first pan that day to get the, the my the, the tape recorders of his and his tapes, he said, "We'll go up to the fourth floor there. We're going up, and we knock on the door. And the guy, I hear a guy's voice, and this is the guy who had my job last, yeah. who quit on him too. <laughs> yeah. And I'm here. Yes, who is it? It's Norman. I hear every stick of furniture being pushed <laughs> against the fucking door. Norman, get out of here. I'm gonna call the police. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But this guy was 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 fucking crazy. So this is the reason. Long story short, but this is why Andy then started talking to me you know and said oh my god and we were we just laugh about this wexler and how crazy life is yeah and aren't these wonderful characters you know and he was fascinated about that uh we became friends uh i went back working as a bartender you know after norman back at 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 the improv and i'd watch his act and i'd say and 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 i'd say hey andy you know we were buddies you know and uh you know and i'd say andy you know you know, you, you, that's great what you're doing. You know, I mean, you know, you think maybe if you did this in the end, he go, you know, I thought maybe it's going one end or the, out the other. And then I'd say he'd try it. So after a while, we formed this kind of relationship and, you know, we spoke from, you know, we got it. We both. So, but you understood that tone and you understood that, you know, he was willing to push it out as far out as, as he would. So, so well, that, I came out of Chicago. I came out of Days of Rage. I was a '60s radical, right? Okay, my my gods were Jerry Rubin and Abby mm-hmm. Hoffman. You know, uh, steal this book and and, yeah. just, and just really fucking with the system, right? So this is exactly what he was doing, and with and not I a political long, bent. No, without a political bent, you were Either fucking with I the heads. Really, yeah, 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 and and I came from a family of, of a lot of practical jokers that would go out of our way for these huge practical jokes. Like so what? Oh, like well, I, I had a, a a little theater group before I uh, left uh, Chicago. Before yeah. I went to New York, like it was called the No Name Players. I put together, yeah. you know, it's an improv group. So a great one that we did. There was a the CTA bus in Chicago would get on. So we had we had maybe about twenty five people in the troupe, all different ages. Some had kids and whatnot. And I'd say get on. This was on Foster Avenue. Uh, in, for those of you who know Chicago, Foster Avenue, and the bus line there. And we'd have for about a mile down. I'd have two people here at one bus stop. It's like we didn't know each other, you know. And we'd all get on the bus like we didn't know each other. Like twenty five people. <coughs> Don't start coughing. Yeah. <coughs> some kind, some kind of fear. <coughs> Some kind of fumes or something on the bus. Be opening the window. Well, the driver's there. And, be, <laughs> and people really, and the little kids are coughing and everything. And what's so amazing is that the real people on the bus, they're coughing too. Because it's like, brain, you know what I mean? It gets yeah. them nuts, you yeah. know? And they're all coughing. The guy pulls the bus. There's some obviously some kind of exhaust leak. This is terrible. And we're on the bus. They have to pull the bus 
you know, off, uh, you know, and yeah. they have to send stuff. That night we watched it on the news. We're laughing yeah, our yeah. ass off, you know, whatnot. Or another one. And, 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 and another. So you're media jammers in a way. Yeah. And just fucking with people. We'd go to the Lincoln Park Zoo. There'd be about a dozen of us uh, at different times. We'd, we'd just start running. Lion, yeah, <laughs> and people were running and just create well andy would hear these stories he goes that's what i want to do that's it so we just bonded and then when we just got together every fucking day for years was just put on like what was like all your work came to fruition with what Probably the Carnegie Hall show. That thing is fucking amazing. Yeah, the Carnegie Hall show. That is just fucking crazy. So he was a huge act at that time already. Well, no, but here's what's weird. He was the hottest cabaret act in New York City, Andy. He was not doing TV, though. No, 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 but he would hire him. Right. No, even like, because then comics opened for like the singers, Sonny or Shara. Sure. That's what they did. Right. So so guys like Leno, all those people started opening for musical acts. But they couldn't trust Andy with that. Because nobody had a big comedian that would do that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Andy, he'd go there and he'd start crying or something, and people would call, you know, call his manager and say, yeah. "This is bullshit." You can't get him off. He's crying. Yeah, this is bullshit. Yeah, people, yeah. this is disturbing the audience. He's not doing his job. Fi- yeah. Sonny and Cher fired him. Yeah. They said this, you know, Sonny and Cher just fired him when he was on stage. Said, "Get the guy off. This yeah. is awful." Yeah, because they didn't people, get it. They didn't get it. You know. Yeah. And so for, no one got it. No except one for got the People it. that got it, and that was so for years. He was the hottest act in the club. But everybody else was getting work. Boozler, Leno, everybody else was working but yeah. him. And it really was weird. It really kind of hurt him because it was like, Jesus. But he knew know? what he was doing. He knew that it was like above and beyond the but, understanding. But he of- knew he wanted, he needed that fame yeah. so that he could then play bigger places and do his act so yeah. other people could see him. Yeah. It wasn't so much for the money. It's just so people could come and see what he did. Right. You know? So, and it wasn't until... Dick Ebersol from Saturday Night Night. It wasn't Lauren Michaels. It was Dick Ebersol who came into the club and saw him and then went back and told Lauren. Yeah. And Lauren. So, so in fact, in this, 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 this relationship between Ebersol and, and it was Ebersol who finally kicked him off of Saturday Night Live. So it's like, I make you, I could also break you. Yeah. You know, and uh, so so that's, that's what happened. It really was Ebersol who got him on Saturday Night Live. Season and, one, right? Yes, he was. A se- People don't realize Andy Kaufman was a semi regular right. on Saturday Night Live. He couldn't. He wanted to be on more and more and more. And, they, and Lauren says, "I can't. I can't. I can't do it." So finally, Andy said, "Then by now, Andy has. Uh, uh, it was uh, um, uh, Carl Reiner mm-hmm. was George Shapiro. Shapiro West. George yeah. was uh, who's who's uh, had Carl Reiner as a client and." And he said, you got to see this kid. And then Carl Reiner was friends with uh, Dick Van Dyke because they had done the Dick Van Dyke show. And Dick Van Dyke had that summer series that went on and that they, they flew the kid out. He started to be, they started to be singing like that. And soon he was then offered, uh, he, he did a little, some little pilots here, but that when they brought a uh, taxi together, right. they offered him, and once again, they wanted to buy that role from him and do it. Foreign and he did guy. not want, and he went, and he went and he begged Lauren, he says, look, I got an offer on the table. Uh, and this was back then, nobody wanted to leave New York for the weirdos on the West Coast. Remember mm-hmm. that when that took yeah, place? Right. And now that's all gone. You so know, it's still a little bit of a, residue. A little, of, yeah, a little yeah. bit. You know, for the ones that you know. But uh, but then it was really strong. So he said, "Lauren, I really don't want to go to the West Coast and be in a sitcom." And, yeah. and, and Lauren said, "Andy, a sitcom 
is the worst fucking form of entertainment on the planet Earth. You don't want to be in one, you know. And he said, well, please give me more time on the He says, I can't. It's not designed like this. You're good for hit every three, four weeks I got to bring you on. I can't put you on every week. And Andy says, well, if that's the case, I got to go and take this. He says, I understand. If you have to take it, take it. So Andy signs for for, uh, for a taxi. He, to, he had, in his whole career, he had, didn't, had, had never seen one episode of Taxi. Hated it. He didn't hate it. It's just he just thought... This wasn't his, you know, he knew this was going to get him out there, his name and everything. Yeah. But he just thought this was a form of entertainment that was just so crap. Yeah, it was Never, predictable. He, and Yeah. And that started a little hostility with the cast of Taxi, too. Yeah. Because they're going, gee, who does this guy think he is? But it gave him that name recognition. So now, you know, now we could go out and do these shows across the country. And then we played the college circuit and then we had a hell of a lot of time. Great yeah. time. But the Carnegie Hall show was, was really... As, as perfect of a show as you can. Well, that was a signature thing. That was the defining thing of you two in, well, in it, terms of collaboration. Yes, it was. Because yeah. I, I produced the show, yeah. and and we just we just went went for it. We, yeah, we lost a lot of money on it. We didn't give a fuck. Because I watched it not too long ago. You know, I yeah. came to Andy later, and uh, the device of things was uh, beyond anything that anyone can really wrap their brain around. Even now, I mean, the thing that yeah. stands out for me even the now. most. Even oh, no, now. yeah, I mean, the, even fucking now, every day no I learn something new, way ahead of his time. Well, it's just like beyond the, his time. It's from beyond the, his time is from better. From another planet. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But that, the no. the thing where you show the old clip of the movie and you bring her out. <laughs> And have her do that thing. That to, that to me was one of the most brutally funny, Margaret horrendous Gould, things yeah, I'd yeah. ever seen in my life. Yeah. And and the fact that you know when he's just going faster, faster, like, yeah. And and then yeah. she drops dead, she drops and you dead. come out. Yeah. And very serious. We had asked somebody from the audience, a doctor from the audience. Yeah. Then people were stunned in the audience. They had to cover her with a, a with a. With, and with, what, with, now the feeling in the audience was like they didn't know whether it was oh, real no, or no, not. No, no, no. Well, at this point, you don't know what the hell is going on. And let me do the setup for people to know what we're talking about. Is Andy shows an old clip from like 1923 of these early cowboy movies. The, yeah. the cowboy musicals yeah. that ran like 15 minutes yeah. in a movie theater or something. And he brought out and he showed this clip. And I think there was a song, We've Got Spurs, that jingle, jingle, jingle. jingle. And, it, yeah, and, and he shows this clip and he says, ladies and gentlemen. But there's women. The thing is, is that there's these yes. women dancing around on, on little uh, stick horses. Yeah, with horses. And they, right. they're doing a dance number yeah. with uh, stick horses yeah, that you well, ride the between your legs. Right. Gene Autry right. or somebody he's playing this right. shit in the background right and so anyway uh so he says ladies and gentlemen we have our special guest we have you saw this clip and these girls were beautiful but it was like 1920 he says we're gonna bring out now a woman who is still alive she's 89 years young please welcome uh margaret edith ghoul the mm. last surviving member of the girls that you saw you know, right right and she was very frail and she came out right. and everything and andy was very polite to her yeah. and asked how it was working with i think gene audrey mm-hmm. and whatnot and she said oh the boys were yeah. nice yeah yeah yeah, yeah and he said he said well you know he says i gotta tell you he said you know can we can you do something for us and 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 well what's what's that and he says he says bob bring out and I brought, brought the horse up. Right, the and little she's, and he says, stick horse. Do you think you could just do a little 
just, you know, just relive that moment for all of us here. Yeah. She said, well, I don't, you know, but she's old. This woman's yeah. old, so yeah. she puts the thing between her legs there. Yeah. You know, and it's very awkward, this old yeah. lady, yeah. you know. Right. And uh, he says, well, let's have a little music. You know, so he starts, we is have it, Isn't there a symphony there, too, in my memory? Yeah, no, there... we had an orchestra. Yeah, 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 no, no, yeah, yeah, we had, you know, uh, Greg Sutton was yeah. Andy's musical director. We mm-hmm. had a good, 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 uh, maybe about eight, nine pieces. Yeah. And, and so they start, we got Spurs, and he says, come on, dance a little yeah, dance, yeah. dance, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, it was worked yeah, out, yeah. he's going to, uh, he's going, and he grabs the baton from yeah. Greg, the musical director, yeah, yeah. come on, faster, come on, dance, dance, and he's, and this old lace says, come on, you can do it, dance, dance, yeah, and he's yeah. in her face, and she's dancing, and dancing yeah, with yeah, his fucking yeah, yeah. horse, and then the fucking old lady gets a fucking heart attack, yeah. and she falls down and collapses, what yeah. we're talking yeah. about, and she falls down, and it is, and if you saw this woman in her age, even if you thought you this was staged, you can't put an old person that age through this. Yeah, I mean, she was fucking huffing and you know, yeah, even yeah. When we, it, it was, it was we never great. even rehearsed. It, yeah. it. it's real. She's down, and I mean, it, it put everything, you know, and it was and Kaufman and I pushed him away. Uh, the house lights went up. We had to get a doctor who came up on stage, uh, who actually uh, was uh, Andy's sister's husband. And Kaufman is beside himself, and people in the audience going, "This sucks. Yeah. This is bad." Yeah, know, the old lady. And then finally, they just they talk, and the producers come out, and blah blah blah, and we just cover her up, you know, because it's bad, and just cover her up, and some people are crying and whatnot. And all of a sudden, he leaves the stage. Andy's just distraught. The, his big nights at Carnegie Hall, he killed somebody. Yeah. Oh, this is great. Yeah. And he goes off, and he puts on this, and he comes on back on stage with this Indian. Uh, Headdress. Headdress, mm-hmm. yes. And, he, and he's got the ho, 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 And he goes over. Medicine dance. Yeah, yeah. Medicine dance. Yeah, yeah. And he goes over the woman. He's yeah. moving his ho, ho. And she starts sitting up like from the dead and yeah. whatnot. The best is at the end of the show. Oh, oh now, and, and, and this is probably the highest moment uh, when I think of the, when you ask me what's the greatest moment where it all came together. And it's the end of the show. Now, Andy had actually had his real uh, grandma when he started the show. He brought his real grandma out because from a, uh, Hollywood, uh, Florida, mm-hmm. the Jewish community. That's where my mother lived. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so she was there, you know, retired uh, a woman, a Jewish woman living there. And he said to her, so he said, and she was like in her 80s, and he said, you know, Grandma Pearl. And he brought her out and he said, ladies and gentlemen, he said, you know, he said, when I was a little boy, uh, I told my grandma someday I'm going to be famous. I'm going to play Carnegie Hall. This is a true story. And I'm going to give her the best seat in the house. And so he, brought, he says, so here I am. Here as, And he brings his grandma out. And she's there. And this is a big thing for his, his real grandma that, that uh, here he is. And he said, now, grandma, you really thought I wasn't going to amount to anything or anything. She said, well, come on, be honest. She said, well, it's true, Andy. You know, mm-hmm. you're a good boy. You're a good mm-hmm. boy. Yeah. I said, she said, well, he said, can you believe this? I'm really here. I told Did Remember yeah. when I told you? He said, he did tell me. Yeah. He said, someday I'm going to play Carnegie Hall. You know, and what yeah. did I say? He said, you're going to play. But what else did I tell you? I don't know. And I said, I'd give you the best seat in the house. Remember I told yeah. you that? She said, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, not only did I fly out my grandma, I flew out her sofa. And we got the sofa, and this is true. Did she know was, it? Yeah, no, she didn't know. No, she no, didn't. No, no, we flew her to New York, and then they grabbed this, so we worked it out with Stanley Coffin. <laughs> and we, we shipped her sofa. It's her sofa yeah. from her house. Yeah. you know. And, and so we put that on, and, and he put it stage left a little off to the yeah. side. And he says, and you sit here and watch the whole show. This was beautiful. So she, And we had a little table for yeah. some tea and whatnot. Yeah. But now- Here's the moment at the end of the show. 
He says, thank you very much, ladies. And it's been a great show. He's done yeah. a great performance. Yeah. He says, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you all. And I want to thank uh, the the Radio City Music Hall Rockettes. And just then, the Rockettes, the we had the real Rockettes come out, you know. It's like 40 of them. Yeah. 21 side of state, 20 of them. They come out. They start kicking their legs. This is the end yeah. of the show. He said, I'd like to thank the Rockettes. Yeah. He said, I also want to thank my other guests, uh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. The doors open at the at back of Carnegie Hall. 240 members of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir come down the aisle. Huda, huda, huda. We captured a little of this in the movie, Man yeah. on the Moon. Then he says, I'd like to also thank, because around Christmas, I'd like to thank Santa Claus. And we had it wired, and we had the sleigh come from the ceiling, and we had it snow through, not just on stage. So, ooh, they're singing. The yeah. girls are kicking and whatnot. The, the Santa Claus is yeah. there. Everybody just can't believe this. And he says, I'd like to thank my special guest, my grandma, played by... And you're going, what? Yeah. Played by an Olsen, that little old lady who you've been watching on stage, yeah. gets out of her chair. She walks towards the footlights with all this bedlam going yeah. on. He says, played by Robin Williams. And the grandma pulls the face off, just like Mission yeah. Impossible. Yeah. And it's Robin yeah. who does one of these big Shakespearean bows after that. I had never seen an audience leap to their feet. <laughs> It was hysteria. <laughs> and at this point, people are going, anything is possible in Kaufman world. Yeah. Anything is possible here. Yeah. So at that point, he says, everyone settle down, settle down. He said, this is just act one of the show. And now it's late. Yeah. He says, for act two, we're going to take the entire audience. There's buses outside, and we're going to take the entire audience for milk and cook. Right, well, of course, they're yeah. going, this is bullshit. But yeah. some people are going, who knows? Yeah. Anything's happening here. Yeah. And George Shapiro was Andy's manager. And George said, Zmuda, the guy's going to go broke. Just order up like two buses. Nobody's going to go. Yeah. They've been here all night. It's New York City. Yeah. He ain't going on buses yeah, for milk yeah, and yeah, cooking. Yeah. You know? And I'm talking to John, and, and I'm, there's a big, this went on for weeks of discussion, you know? Yeah. And I said, and Andy says, no, trust me, George, they're going to go. They're going to go. And he goes, I'm telling him. And George is mad. And he says, why do you tell him this crazy shit? Yeah. You know I mean? He's going to break us here. Yeah, he's yeah, he's going to lose he's a ton of money. No, he's losing money on yeah. this shit. He's going, yeah. you know, he's going through his bank account yeah. to pawn this fucking crazy show for people. That That's that's what it's all about. Yeah. You know, that's really what it's all about. Right. He didn't Everything give a else, fuck. He didn't give a fuck. So, and you know what? Yeah. So I order up. 24 buses yeah kids you know uh, yeah. school buses yeah. and you know what every fucking person went on it from Carnegie <laughs> Hall and we took them to the New York School of Printing yeah where we had where I had rented uh, rented I got small little uh kids from kindergarten uh, uh tables and chairs yeah and so the people that came had to sit on that. Yeah. Like little kids. And they yeah, became yeah. little kids. And we gave them, that was the famous milk and cookies. Yeah, that everybody the had the milk yeah, and cookies. Sure. And then there he had magicians. And, and then he he had mats and he wrestled women. You know, the night went on until, until about two in the morning. George comes up to me. He says, he says we got to get these buses back or we're going to have overtime. He's enough, enough, enough. This is fun. Everybody yeah. had a good time. So I, I even agree. And I'm getting tired now, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I say to Andy, I said, Andy, this is good. This is good. He said, Let's, he said, well, what do we do next? Well, we know. And just off the top of my head, I don't know why I said it, Mark, I said, uh, tell them uh, to go go to sleep, get a good night's sleep, and the show, Act 3, Act 3, uh, will continue tomorrow. 
on the Staten Island Ferry. Tell them to go to the Staten Island Ferry. Okay, 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 okay. So he tells people this. And they're like, you know, kids. I mean, yeah. adults. It was so fucking magical. Yeah. It really was. And these are New Yorkers. Yeah. It was magical. Yeah. You know, you were a kid again. You were, yeah. and he made you a child again. Yeah. So they go home. Now, we are staying. We go back to the hotel. And I had been working my, I was up for a yeah, big day, production, yeah. Big for all this shit yeah. and whatnot. And, and not only that, him and I both got lucky with two of the Rockettes. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were staying, I know that's Sherry Netherland. We were yeah. staying in a nice fucking place. You yeah. Know? And, uh, and, and, and so I remember in the morning, and I'm with this babe. Now, so now he's at my door knocking. Bob, yeah. Bob. Bob, he knows I'm in there. I got yeah. to do not disturb on anything, yeah. you know. And I go, so I get up and go out of the bed. The chick's in the bed. I go, Andy, 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 and I'm still sleeping. What, what? He said, do you think anybody's going to be at the same? Man, we should go there. We should go there. I go, Andy, trust me, nobody's going to. And well, as soon as I close the door, I'm thinking, yeah. what if there's one press person there? Yeah. So I said, honey, come on, get dressed. We're all going down. <laughs> so we jumped to the cab. We go to the Staten Island Ferry. There's about 250 people. Come this on. is a work day. Oh, this is a true story. I just talked to a guy the other day that was there. He said he was one of the guys. He was there. And about 250 people. And Andy bought them a ticket yeah. on the Staten Line Fair to go there and back. And yeah. on the way there, he bought them all an ice cream cone and wrestled any woman who wanted to wrestle them. True story. And, wow. And, and when we did the movie Man on the Moon, Stacy Shear, who was one of the producers, yeah. uh, wanted to add that scene, but we couldn't do the budget of the next day. So, but they did a pretty good job of capturing what we did at Carnegie Hall with the with. The, and what the, was the? So that's a fucking amazing story. What yep. was the fascination? Yeah, outside. I mean, I I know that Andy was a fan of wrestling and that the wrestling was a shtick. But how, how come it went on so fucking long? What do you mean? I mean that the shtick kept going. That the wrestling thing sort of became well, his thing. Well, here's what happened when Andy. Andy's grandma, the same grandma, who, you know, but years. Were they early, happy with him in the big picture? His family. Oh no, they thought yes, they lo- they're a very loving family, but they really thought he he oh, he went. To, they were sent him to a psychiatrist at like seven, eight years old. Right, but he, who once sent he a started, kid to a psychiatrist at well, eight years old? Rich Jews, exactly. So exactly. So, but yeah. in, in the overall scheme of things, you know, once he became famous, they were well now. Now this insanity, this weird lifestyle, yeah. and the way he looked at life, kaching kaching. So they thought he's, he's he, making a he's living. He's successful, right? Right. He's rich. Yeah. Yeah. I don't but understand he, it, but no, I don't exactly. Right. I don't understand it, but he's yeah, happy. Yeah, and, you know, he's making yeah, money. Yeah. What the hell? You know, and Andy never. None of the checks from taxi or anything ever went to Andy. They always went to his dad. Until the day he died, he was on an allowance. He did not want money. He didn't continue to trust himself with it, or he just didn't want it. He just thought money was the, the, the root of all. He it just not not that he was. He just so is that why he would bust tables and stuff? Well, no, that's <laughs> that's a little different. No, he had money at the time, and and but, what was that thing about? Was it? What, did you find? Because I know that when he was doing Taxi, he would sometimes. Where was he? Here's ju- what happened. Where do you go? Juniors or uh, where? Where do you? Jerry's. To, Jerry's. Deli. Jerry's Deli. Here's what happened. This is how crazy he was. So one day, and now we're doing okay. He's on taxi. We're out on tour. We're, made, we're you know, and I'm doing a little writing for Universal. And yeah. So we got a little capital. We yeah. got a little money. And so I uh, would drive up to Santa Barbara a lot, you know. And there was a great little place uh, that was res- that was a commercial of an old uh, build of an old somebody's house, but it was commercialized. And I went, 
you know, this could make one of those where they take an old uh, uh, Victorian home, yeah. they turn it into a restaurant. Yeah. And I thought, hmm, this is a good. I think I think this would be great. So here. now you're going to be a restaurateur. Exactly. Yeah. So I, but I need some crazy I, idea. I need some money. So I, so I talked to Andy about yeah. it. Yeah. So I and I had this girlfriend who worked at Jerry's Deli. Yeah. Uh, Shelly Miles. Yeah. And uh and 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 she worked at Jerry's Deli. And I said to, I said to uh, Andy, I said, you know, Andy. Uh. I need a partner on this. You know, yeah. you got some money, but we got to think if this this crazy showbiz stuff. This could be over tomorrow. Yeah, this is so nuts. We got to get into the crazy restaurant business. Well, well, yeah, but something. Yeah, well, I didn't know that. I thought it was solid. I yeah. didn't know that. That's like the worst business to get in. You <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. So, so I could. So I, he says, well, you know, he says that's not. I wouldn't want to be partners with you. you know? He says, but I got to be honest. He says. I don't know anything about the restaurant business. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't know where to start, or what, yeah. what to do, and, and, I, and I I would you know I, I I managed a few restaurants before, so I knew a little. And I said so I, as a joke. I said, well, Andy, well, listen. I said, why don't you why don't you learn? He said, well, what what can I do? You know, I said I said why don't you, why don't you become a bus boy somewhere? I just yeah. like that. Yeah, right. I just throw it out like that. Yeah. Two days later. I'm home. My phone rings, and it's my girlfriend Shelly Miles, yeah. who's working at Jerry's Deli yeah. as a waiter. She says, "You ain't gonna believe this." What? She said, "Andy, they just hired Andy as a busboy here." I said, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> now, and I thought, okay, maybe this is something we'll do. Just did they know me. who he was? Yeah, oh, hey, yeah. of course he's hey, he's a star on Taxi. Yeah, of course they knew who he was. Yeah, guy, of course the guy hired him. He wasn't yeah. even a good, bu- terrible busboy. The guy didn't care. How long did he do that for? He did it. For, he did it religiously for about four months. <laughs> He couldn't wait to leave his job at taxi and get in his car and go work for like 82 bucks a week as this buzz boy. Do you think it, it somehow grounded him? Yeah, it, well, it did. It re- and that's, I think, the re- I think at first he did it as a joke. Yeah. But it, it grounded, and people would sit there, I'm telling you, so, and we, we showed this in the movie Man on the Moon a little, but I'll never forget, I, I'd go, <laughs> go in there, and people would sit there, and, you know, he had the hat on and everything, yeah. you know, you know, and, 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 and he'd be cleaning people's table, and people just you know, go, I would say his girlfriend. His girlfriend would say, you know, I think that's Andy Kaufman. Yeah. yeah what is Andy Kaufman going to be working? Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. Fucking, he's going to be working as a for, for a couple some change. Uh-huh. Are you nuts? Yeah. Look at that guy. It looks like him. So then they would go. And I'd sit there. I'd sometimes just go and have a cup of coffee and watch yeah. this. Yeah. You know. And he'd say, see me sitting there and Andy, and they say to him, uh, "Excuse me, uh, are you Andy Kaufman?" And he go, uh, "Oh yes, I am." You know, but they'd be looking at him strange, like, yeah. come on, you can't believe yeah. it. He said, and they go, nah, you're not. And he, they said, if you're Andy Kaufman, go, uh, do thank you very much. Yeah. And he go, okay, <clears throat> thank you very much. Sir, get out of here, just get us more coffee. Yeah. You know, they didn't yeah, think it right. was him. Yeah. It was the craziest thing. Oh, no, and he did this religiously. I bet you that really kind of was an ego leveler. Andy was performing for himself. What is so unique, when, you know, in my book, Andy Kaufman Revealed, yeah. uh, the first, uh, every chapter I have a, another comedian that says something about Andy, and the, and, and, you know, and the, and, but the first chapter, it, it's from Dana Carvey, and he said, because it was one of the great lines of all time. Oh, you trace it all. It all. Yeah, and, he said, and, he, and Andy, and, and Dana Carvey said, all roads yeah. lead to Kaufman. Bobcat Goldthwait, a number of comedians have over the years, you know, would, would come up to me and say, I want you to know that if it wasn't for Andy Kaufman, I never would have gone into this because Andy showed me. I didn't want to be. Uh, I didn't want to be Sally Fields. Oh, love me, love me, love me. I don't like people. 
but I like going on stage and speaking my mind. That's right, Daddy. I feel the same way. Yeah, that right. he, you know, he, he made all of us realize like there's no end to the territory we can take up That's there. That's right. Exactly. Very important. And so there it brought in this real rant. And, and in many ways, when I try to explain where Andy's influence and where to categorize it in, in the world of comedy, the best example I get, I use, I, I take it from music. I say, just what punk was to the music scene. Andy was like punk comedy at right. the time. Right, came in there, take no print, and not that he was—he was not a—he wasn't Sam Kennison. Fuck you! He wasn't that. No, Andy but he, never but swore. he created the space. You like, better believe Len, it. Lenny Bruce created the freedom for us to speak how he wanted to. Andy Kaufman created the space for us to do whatever the fuck we wanted. Exactly. to. Exactly. No, no rules. No rules. Yeah, because, Anything goes. The yeah. stranger, if you can't right, figure that was out, a, fine. That, well, that was what was great about stand up. I yeah. mean, and, and I never really put it in that context. But even when I got into it, it was like I'm not an entertainer, but. I just know that, you know, I just want to be up there. It's not, and, and I want to do whatever the fuck I want. That's it. So he gave us all freedom to do whatever the fuck we wanted to. Exactly. Lenny Bruce gave us the freedom to say whatever the fuck we wanted yes. to. Andy Kaufman gave us the freedom to do whatever the fuck we wanted to. Very important figure in American humor. No doubt. Both of them. Both all right, so like, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to rush through anything, but no, no, like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, the, the, so the, the wrestling thing became this obsession in my eyes. Well, here's what happened. So with the wrestling, this is how the wrestling started. First of all, I, I was saying that his grandma, uh, Pearl, when, they were, when he was a little boy, would take him to New York City, not to see Broadway shows. Right. But she would take him to the Madison Square Garden to see the wrestlers. Right. And this was Buddy, Gorgeous George. Gorgeous George, uh, Buddy Rogers, yeah. Haystacks Calhoun, yeah. these kind of people. So that had you know? a profound impact on As him. As a little boy, yeah. he went in that big arena, ah, and this, to him, this was theater. Yeah. This is it first, is theater. Yes, and remember back then it's different. Now you know it's phony baloney. Back then you believed those wrestlers were really doing it to each other. The crowds were crazy. They were, you know, and and so that before Vince McMahon came there and kind of now made it like soap operas. Now you know these guys it's all bullshit. Yeah. But back then people believed it, and Andy believed it. Well, look at that influence of reality. Yeah. On what he was doing. Yeah. So to him, his first uh, impression of 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 theater is wrestling and if you think back the first theater the greek theater was wrestling that yeah. was the first so this was the essence so he had a very pure bite of the apple uh when he was a young boy now so he loved the wrestlers i mean he was fascinated by the wrestlers uh, you you could be in a restaurant and if there was uh, a gore you know if there was a uh, buddy rogers there yeah. and and marlon brando there andy wouldn't give a shit about marlon brando <gasps> he'd go over to yeah, buddy rogers yeah, yeah. these were gods to him yeah. and 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 he found it so funny that they could be beating each other and pulling pipes out and yeah. and and in you know and bleeding and everything and acting dizzy you know and falling and, and the crowd be screaming he, and andy just thought this like keystone cops this yeah. is ludicrous yeah so now so now he's doing taxi. And uh, one day I, I'm, I'm calling his house and he's not, not there and whatnot. And we're yeah. in a meeting and whatnot. He wasn't, I'm going, what the fuck's going on? So I drive over to his house and I see all the curtains are closed. Yeah. And I knock and I see his car out. Yeah. And I'm knocking on the door and I hear a little ruffling inside. I said, Andy, it's Bob, Bob, Bob. And I'm knocking, knocking. And I, I said, Andy, I know you're in there. What's going on? You okay? You know, I don't, you got a girl? Just tell me, I'll leave, you know. And he cracks the door open, and he's in this sweat. He's sweating, and he's got. And I saw, and he goes, "Oh, Spud, uh, come in." You know, and he comes. He says, 
I'm going to show you something, but you got to promise not. And he's whispering in his own yeah. fucking house yeah, like yeah, this, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a little like somebody, like, you know, these, the, the, he's hiding from the Nazis or yeah. something, you know. And, he's, and he says, you know, I'm going to show you something, but you got to promise you'll never tell, tell anybody about yeah, it. He yeah. said, okay, Andy, what, what, what? Yeah. And he has back then, this is before you had porn and with the videos. Yeah. You know, he had, it was like this little eight millimeter projector with a battery that had a loop of film going through uh-huh. that you had to just put your eye up to. Uh-huh. You know, I knew, I heard about something I'm going, now, now, and I am a good friend, but now I'm going, now I'm going to hear about it. What the hell's on this thing? Yeah. And I look through it and it's not even porno. It's just like these girls in bikinis wrestling. Yeah. But he's so fucking excited about uh-huh. this. I mean, he's really excited yeah, about this. Yeah. It's it's his sexual nerve. It's his, his sexual imperative. Oh, so oh, so it's sexually turning him on. Oh, big time. Yeah. So so uh, and then we start talking about oh man, these girls wrestling each other, and we we're playing the cop. He said, you know what? We should put this in the act. He says it's totally self indulgent, but it's Andy Kaufman, like you said, he's playing out his fantasy yeah. on stage. So I said, that's a great idea. I said, it's great because we're playing college audiences. So what we did uh, in advance, we have the press go out that come with your leotards, to, you know, and the winner will win $500 if they yeah. can pin Andy Kaufman. Yeah. So the girls would come prepared to the, you know, and we would we would separate, we'd have, uh, the, the, we would play this on the, on the college campuses, you may be in the gym or in the auditorium, yeah. and I'd have the audience set, we'd put the, the guys on one side, the women on the other, you know? You know, for the same, sure. they'd be cheering and whatnot, yeah. and they all wanted to get beat as an Orthodox temple. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they would have, they would have. So he'd come out, you yeah, know, and he'd come out and he'd wrestle them. And it was so funny. I would always play the referee. I put my hand, and, and he'd have the girl there, and he'd be wrestling her, and I'm down on the mat. People would be screaming. You couldn't hear anything. Yeah, but I could hear Andy, and Andy would be wrestling. He'd always win. He was a, he was a very good wrestler. Actually, he knew all the tricks uh-huh. from the professional wrestlers and everything. Uh-huh. You know, these guys are really good. And this too. was a character on some level. You women! Yeah. You get back in the kitchen where you belong! <laughs> I'm a man, I got the brains. Oh, yeah. we, and it would just get people so fucked. Oh, the woman's livers back then. Yeah, I know, they were crazy. Fucked. Yeah. They, they couldn't see the joke. Yeah. They just thought this guy was like this. Yeah. You know? So he's you know, on the mat and, he, and he's, what's he saying? And he, and he's, but he's on the mat with him and he'd go, oh, baby, 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 <laughs> baby, baby, baby. Listen to that crowd. I said, afterwards, afterwards, come backstage. Moon will let you backstage. We got to get together. You know, he's, he's wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And she'd go, get your hand. She said, you're an idiot. I won't have anything. You know, this would go on. Eight out of 10 times, he ended up scoring with those girls. Nah. Eight out of 10. Because he broke down. Come he, on. He had this theory that, cause you, you know, when you were a kid. But that's why he wanted to do it. That's the only reason he wanted to do it. <laughs> Come on. For him to get laid when we were on the college tours. It was the only, but it had taken, it had capped, it had gotten so much in the media because there was such anger about this by the women and Saturday Night Live was getting and finally Lauren said let's put it this on Saturday Night Live yeah and this is what scared me because here's the one thing that I knew that nobody else knew Andy did this to get laid and it really remember I told you when he was sweating in his yeah. room and everything yeah. he would get aroused yeah so that's why when you see when he's wrestling He's wearing these long johns. Yeah. And he's wearing this bathing suit. Yeah. So what would happen in the dress? And I knew he would get a fucking hard on. Yeah. And I go, shit, now we're going to do this. On, and you could see it, couldn't see it in the auditorium. Yeah. I said, now on national TV and Saturday Night Live with the close up cameras and whatnot. So then when we did it on Saturday Night Live, back in the dressing room, he put a jock strap on, right? And I, I, would it take, up. I would take a whole roll of 
gaffer's tape and I wrapped him up to keep it down. <laughs> then he'd put the long johns on and the bathing suit on top of that. <laughs> True story. True fucking story. So and then go. what that all that stuff where he hurt his neck with the law what's oh, the yeah. lawler? Well that gets controversial. Now we're getting in some areas here I gotta watch what I say. You what know, does that mean? Well I mean there's 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 a lot of people who thought it was a fake and then it wasn't fake and it's not fake. What on it's, Letterman it's, when he you know Oh the, yeah, 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 no, that's a real slap on Letterman and whatnot. And what well what it was was this. So Andy's doing this wrestling stuff and it's getting a lot of attention. Yeah. And he's on Saturday Night Live and it's getting a lot and of attention. And he respects wrestling. He loved, yes. Yeah. And he really, if Andy would anything, would to be a professional wrestler, if somebody could say, you could be a professional wrestler, he would have left the acting and the stand-up yeah, career. Yeah. Forget it. That mm. was his dream. Hmm. Like like some yeah. some comics want to be really- The like, kid thing. Like Billy Crystal wants to really be a ball player. Yeah. And Billy will always look at himself as a failure because he doesn't matter where he's gotten to, but the fact is he never became that professional yeah, ball yeah, player. Yeah, yeah. He really hates himself. Right. So anyway, so and, what Andy does- he gets a call one day from a promoter in the in the South. Yeah, that said, "Hey, Andy, how would you like to come and be in a professional wrestling man's with Jerry the King Lawler?" Jerry the King Lawler was a big deal. Yeah, if you're into back then to wrestling, mullet wrestling in Memphis. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's all mullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Andy says, "Oh, I'd love to do that." So the promoter who has a show on Saturday mornings, you know. Uh, says Andy, can you maybe we need a little heat to sell tickets? Yeah, can you make can you like uh, you know get people a little crazier? Can you make some tapes and send them in? I'll run them on their Saturday show. Right. So he calls me up. So we go over to George Shapiro's house. That's when we make these crazy tapes of him. And he you know, he doesn't live like George Shapiro by the pool. Andy yeah, doesn't have yeah. a pool. Yeah. And he's got gold chains yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And he's got he's got a drink in his hand with the little uh, umbrella yeah, and yeah. all this fruit in and all this shit. And he sitting there like a real asshole you know and he goes you know I'm, and i make this tape this is the hollywood thing right yes yeah yeah he says, yeah. yeah 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 exactly he said, yeah. he said hi i'm andy kaufman you probably recognize me from the tv show taxi yeah i'm a major star yeah and i'm going to be in your neck ne- how do you say it there bob neck of the woods yeah, yeah. is that how they talk down there <laughs> i'm going to be in your <laughs> neck of the woods but very deep but this is a classic wrestling script yeah, yeah in a way yeah, well yeah but these but it's driving these people nuts yes because yeah but he's going and then you could shake my hand and get my autograph yeah you know he's going on yeah so we send this and now the ticket starts in the guy says calls he said andy keep making those yeah. i'm telling you they're going like it could be keep making them yeah. so then we're there in the ring and, and i walk in i'll never forget because it was Walking, you have to walk to the square square circle from the uh, the uh, the green room in the back. Yeah. So you have to walk through the arena yeah. to get there. People were so fucking nuts that they had the Memphis SWAT team who brought Andy in with their shield, with a plastic shield. Yeah, right. People are throwing all kinds of shit, and I was in this tube walking down there with Kaufman. Yeah, and Shapiro, and people were going. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they were insane. Yeah. It was the scariest moment of my life. Yeah, and I walk in there, and it's me and Andy's girlfriend at the time, George Shapiro and Andy, and we walked into the ring. We'll go and, and, and you know, and it's going to start. So they start. So Andy starts banging the ring the yeah. bell. He starts running around. It's kind of he's being goofy. I've and seen comical. that. Yeah. yeah, he's ringing being goofy. And Jer- Jerry's going. So I'm going, Andy, it's okay. Come here. Just yeah. Put me in a headlock. Put me yeah. in a headlock. So now. Andy puts a headlock on him, and that's when he grabs him and gives him the pile driver, which is an illegal move. Yeah. People have gotten killed. Yeah. And he gives Kaufman the pile driver, picks him up again, jams his head into the mat again for the second pile driver. 
match over. This is a legal move. So <laughs> historically, Andy won on the match. Right. But he is out fucking cold. They have to have the ambulance come in to back up into the. They have to clear chairs and everything in the arena. People are going out of their mind. They're caught. They're. Uh, this is great. The king, you know, kill, they think he's dead. Yeah. They don't give a shit. For yeah. Real. Right. They move in. They bring in the uh, and they bring in that special uh, stretcher uh, mark. You know where they two strap pe- you in two pieces because yeah. they can't. They right. Want to fuck up your back. They put that under. He's out cold. You know, and they take him out. So now this became a big story. Yeah. This became a big story, and so much so that, in a way, Andy, who was okay, he went. He's in the hospital, and he's all right. Yeah. But now Andy's gone, and now the press is. I mean, there was so much press at the hospital, and people are calling AP and everything else. Yeah. It's a big fucking story. Right. Andy loves that. Yeah. That kind of publicity. So, yeah. so does Jerry Lawler. Right. So around that time is, uh, uh, you know, was, they both then realize. This was good for each other. When you know, even so, when Andy was in the, in the hospital, even they told him he's okay, and they said, "Do you?" Uh, he said, "Well, do I need a neck brace?" And yeah. I go, "No, you could leave." And he says, uh, "Can I use a neck brace?" Yeah. Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> so then he wore that fucking neck brace for like about two months, and he placed time he went out. The thing stunk. You know, he had food, spaghetti sauce on, and everything else. You know, but he always fucking would put it on. Yeah. You know, he just Played loved it. it. Yeah. Played it over like this with this fucking i have the same i have the neck yeah i have to show it to you sometimes and uh so he did that and then uh of course this was such a big story that when they were talking to uh uh, david letterman yeah uh contact that saw this said this was great and called andy up and said andy this was fucking tremendous yeah are you okay he said look uh i'm thinking of having you and jerry lawler on my show together and they set it up, uh-huh. and then uh, finally, right before commercial, just slugged him. Real, you know, that, so you got to see the real hit. It's amazing. I mean, swapped him big time, knocked him and the chair over, and Andy fell on the floor. Took a Letterman's hot coffee and threw it in Jerry Lawler's face, and Bedlam broke up. So, it was it real? Was it not real? Yeah, it's real, you know. But at the same time, I think Jerry knew as far as he could t- take it. You know, yeah. it's like two good actors, right? That say, hey, we're going to make this look real when these cameras are rolling. And they realized that if they kept it real, that's right. And so they he got professional. That's right. So yeah. that's why you. So so in Andy's style, in a way, yeah. you never really want to take off the mask right. and bow. That's like like with Tony Clifton, we never. Tony's Tony. All right, so now, like, I, you know, we've got an epic episode in our hands here, but I don't want to deny Tony Clifton any time. So I want to know what, you know, where did that come from? Whose idea was it, and how did it to become such a uh, phenomenon? Well, remember, I told you the story when Andy went to 1969 to go meet Elvis. Right. And uh, he didn't have any money, but he did meet Elvis and got the blessing from yeah. Elvis. So he's in Vegas. Yeah. He had hitchhiked there, had no money. Right. Uh, so he went to uh, the seedy part of Las Vegas, old Vegas. Right, the frontier. The and, frontier down right, there. Yeah, yeah. And according yeah. to Andy, he swears that he had seen this lounge act, Yeah. this terrible lounge act of this really obnoxious guy. Right. Uh, and that the guy's name was Tony Clifton. Yeah. Now- so that's where Andy said, and he swears he saw that. Yeah. Now, for years, we've researched and tried. We've never found a Tony Clifton. Maybe he didn't have the name right. Right. But we know for a fact he saw somebody down there yeah. called Tony Clifton. Yeah. So he started uh, He started doing an impression of Tony Clifton. The guy he remembered. The guy he remembered. Right. And call him Tony Clifton. And the, the, 
and what he did, it was really, and at, at first, uh, and, th- and he was doing this before I met him, Yeah, you know, and he takes some putty, some nose putty and forming on his nose. It was yeah. terrible. He yeah. wasn't, t- you know. But he had the voice, right? He had the mannerisms. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. the character that was, was in place. Yes. 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 Yeah. When he'd stress out, yeah. I would get a call and say, Bob, uh, he said, uh, I'm going to be taking a class in meditation and, uh, but Tony's going to be staying at my house. And I, I would never say, come on, Andy. I go along with it. You know, yeah, I worked for him. You know, yeah. I said, okay, okay. What that meant is that for the next few days, Andy's gone. He's now Tony Clifton. Right. Uh, this is how crazy it got. He kept a car, a pink convertible in his garage that he only drove when he was Tony. Uh-huh. Andy was a vegetarian. He never drank. He never smoked, like as a vegetarian. Holistic medicines. Uh-huh. He did three hours of yoga and transcendent meditation. Didn't he a teach day. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a governor in the TM movement. Uh-huh. There's only twelve of them. He was yeah when, when they first started in the '60s. He was a big honcho in the transcendental. But it's not as that like he doesn't strike me as somebody that would uh, you know fall into a cult of any kind. Well, it wasn't. Well, he wasn't so much in the cult, and that's why they finally kicked him out. Finally, he just liked the practice. Yeah, he liked uh-huh. TM. It really, yeah. it, it really, helped him. yeah, it helped him. He meditated right before he went on stage uh-huh. every time but it is kind of a cult in some level oh i think so yeah. absolutely but you he know? liked the practice it was he, he liked the practice yeah. and mm-hmm. he liked the you know the, the, he liked the the, the yoga moves uh-huh. and the transcendental yeah, meditation yeah. really because he, you know, yeah. he was wired he needed yeah. to calm down sure. you know he was, okay he was, his brain was going at you know all over the place so, you know so tony clifton's at the house so uh so then yeah so now when tony now tony's there yeah now tony uh uh doesn't meditate tony uh Drinks heavily, Jack Daniels. I mean heavily. He uh, chain smoker. Um, eats meat, steaks rare. Totally different from from Andy. And now it's interesting because there's a doctor, Doctor Triani, out of Chicago, who uh, who was friends with Andy. Andy used him in, 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 in skits and everything else. And uh, Joe's the real deal. And Joe said, without a doubt, it's it's a multiple personality disorder when he would get get into this this Tony Clifton phase because you could you could fake everything but you cannot fake your sexuality in other words Andy would never think he, he, he couldn't get no, he could never get erect and driving down a down Sunset Boulevard you know in the afternoon and and, and a chick's sucking his cock no fucking way but as Tony he could do that now by this so point Tony, did he have the mask or was it just? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Because so you had it, all that done. Yes, yes. What, what we did, what we wanted to do, because he really, we, we realized he really wanted Tony Clifton to be real, just like what I'm telling you now. Yeah. You know, that's why I could only say so many things. He wanted Tony to be a real entity. And Tony is, see, and what, what it is, Tony is a real entity. If you knew Andy and you know, to, know Tony, and when you know, it wasn't like, it, it's not like he's playing a part and he then became him for days. You know, for days. And the people who worked around, we all had characters that we became because Tony didn't know Bob Zmuda, did not know him. Tony knew a guy named Bugsy who I played. And then I looked different. His secretary, it was a whole other family, a whole other world. And this is the kind of stuff that Andy did, that in life, you can't, he's not just doing this on stage and pushing the boundaries of what performance is. He's putting, pushing the boundaries of what life is. 
of the roles we play. This is all to, to me. What you know? What Andy was when people say, "Well, I don't consider Andy that he was a comedian." I don't even consider Andy he was a performer. I think Andy was a behavioral scientist. I never saw anyone deal with behavior more, fascinated by it, and see how it could change. But that, but like not unlike what's interesting to me as we talk is you know not unlike. Um the, the foreign guy, not unlike uh, the wrestling character, even the busboy character, that there was some, you know, Andy had a self, but it, it seemed fragile on some level. And that, you know, as an entertainer and as somebody that's got all this charisma and as somebody that needed, when things became overwhelming, to get out of that self, he could very easily become these other people. And, and in a way, he's almost like a character actor. But there's no real reason, like, I mean, when somebody, like, you know, because some people would say, like, he had this problem. But are you going to, would you call it that? Well, uh I don't. Th- I don't think. I think it's just what what we're learning now about role playing, people tapping into their feminine side. You know, you hear all these things now. Now everybody's you know with bipolar. Everybody's exploring these different things in themselves. Andy was this good, polite Jewish boy from Great Nick, right? Well, look at it. And he was polite. He, Andy was over polite. You know, he really was like that. And really, and so here's a chance to be a bad guy wrestler. Here's a chance to be bad Tony Clifton. This is great freedom yeah, for him, right? But 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 there's a difference between saying I'm going to be Tony Clifton tonight and saying and then get or and getting lost in it for three days. Yes. Well, so, so like you know, well, to, it separates the men from the boys. If you're going to get lost well, in no, it for no, three I, days, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just yeah. saying that that it seems that when I looked at Andy Kaufman, and I, you know, I don't know him, right? Yeah, and I only know what I see of him. Yeah, and what you tell me about it, and you know, from the very beginning when he was trying to detach from his family's values, and and the thing about money and everything else is that it's rebellion. It's rebellion. But it's rebellion. But there's almost it's almost like there's this weird pure self that can only take so much. Exactly. Exactly, because I do know it's associated with stress. Right. I knew, I I knew him pretty damn well, so I knew when he was going through some stress, a lot of stress, that I would get the call soon that he's leaving and Tony's coming. You know, and, and this it, started it, happening like later in the career, right? Yes, yes, yeah. Tony started. So he had money, he had fame, yeah, yeah. and everything else. Yes, yeah. And and it's interesting because not unlike the idea of becoming a busboy being relieving to him, that the idea of of entering the body and mind of a failure in show business mm-hmm. is interesting. Yes, yeah. There's a humility to it. There's, yes, there's a humility to, to it, and in a way, uh, he saw the phoniness of the of the fame and fortune. You know, I mean, listen. Mark, you've been around. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen them. We've seen them come and go. We've seen some of them all go up the ladder and some become total assholes. Some of them explode. And then some, some and some explode. And then there are some that were assholes. And then once they get up and they become successful, they're not assholes anymore. And then some come down. The chip off the corner and then some come down. Those are the ones that are the most special because they've been humbled. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's why Clifton has been humbled, though his ego will not allow him to see that. Yes. And in, and in a way, in a way, this, this really leads to quite a, a, a problem with, with Clifton because Andy left this legacy of Tony Clifton to me on his deathbed said, you know, there's a few things he wanted. He said, keep Tony alive. 
So this is the last legacy we have of Kaufman. You can look at the, he, he's the living legacy of Andy Kaufman as Tony When Clifton. did you start doing him as well? Well, Andy was doing him, and we had the makeup done pretty good. And one night, we're at the comedy store. Yeah. And Andy goes on, and they said, Tony Clifton, you know, because, uh, you, know, you know, Andy would just drop by. He did not, because by then he wasn't performing at the comedy store. He was big. Yeah. So he didn't have to do that. But but he'd love going there to work on things. So he came and he said, you know, this is when he was on one of these binges, you know, where he's Tony Clifton, Clifton for yeah. a few days. He's, oh, let's go over to the comedy Go over to the comedy store. He goes over to the comedy store. And, and he's not on stage 30 seconds, and people are going, the word had started getting out that Tony Clifton is Andy Kaufman. So people go, Andy, we know it's you. Do Latka, do thank you, you know, and they're yelling this at him. And he's trying to go on as Tony. They don't want, they want to hear Latka. You know, that by now this taxi is the big show yeah. on TV. Yeah. And so he walks off stage. He says, just a second. And he walks off stage. And I'm in, you know, that dressing room in the black. In the back, yeah. With the mirrors. Yeah. He took, and Andy was never violent. He took the fucking chair and he threw it against Mitzi's mirror. Yeah. And it cracked the mirror in the back. And he wasn't going to go out. He said, you know, I hate this fucking town. He says, I can't even do Tony Clifton now. You know, I can't even have, because that's what got him away from it. He didn't yeah. have to be Andy right, Kaufman. Right, He didn't have to be asked. So they to broke up. through the veneer of he, Clifton. They broke through, and at that point, he I never saw him this upset. And right there in the dressing room, he says, I can't even be Tony Clifton anymore, because they think, because they now know it's Andy Kaufman. And he stops himself, and he looks at me. He says, Smoota, this is perfect. I said, what? <laughs> and I'm just his writer. Yeah. He says, this is perfect, yeah. you know? He says, what? He said, they think... Tony Clifton is Andy Kaufman. I said, yeah. He said, great. Let him think that. Yeah. You start doing Clifton. I said, oh, no, man. Yeah. I'm the behind the guys. I want to get some sleep, and yeah. I don't want that pressure. Yeah. He says, come on, Bob. You could do it. Don't be afraid. You you do a good Tony, and I'm writing for Tony and yeah, stuff, yeah. so I got it down, you know. So he makes me fucking do it. So Andy uh, Harris uh, in Reno gets a call, calls George Shapiro. And uh, said, "What we'd like to do, we'd like to hire Tony Clifton for two weeks yeah. in the main room, orchestra the whole thing." And George is being honest with the guy, yeah. And he says, "Well, listen, you understand that you're not going to get Andy. You know that it's Tony. Yeah, 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 yeah. We get it. We get it. We get it. Now, by now, we are now designing the makeup. We go to the same makeup guy, yeah, so that." The prosthetics could be, I measured the prosthetics could, so now and we keep going to George Shapiro's office and I and I would walk in or Andy would walk and he'd go, nah, Zmuda, uh, Andy, until we finally perfected and he'd go, uh, Andy. Oh, it's Bob. Yeah. And he goes, and this is good. You couldn't tell. That's yeah. why for those early ones you'll see even because Andy had uh, longer, thinner. We, we we did detail like you can't believe. Uh-huh. That's why gloves, uh-huh. you know, I, you uh-huh. know, you know, he would have gloves on because his hands were different from mine. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, he's taller than me. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I was heavier than him. Not like I am now, but so, so he had a little punch put on. We had the teeth. Everything was exact. You could not tell who was who. So now... I go get booked for two weeks at the main room. Here is a 15-piece orchestra. Yeah. You know, it's great. You know, I'm a scared shitless. You know, but I'm going there. and But Andy, you know, Andy was so smart. Andy would show up before the show. He'd walk around the casino as himself. Uh-huh. 
you know, uh-huh. and, and everybody and they said, and, and George said, now I don't don't go t- calling Tony Andy. He'll walk out of there. Yeah, he'll walk out off the fucking stage. I'm not joking with yeah. you. He's, oh no no, we we'll respect. We get it. We get it. We get it. It's yeah. it's, it's Tony. You yeah. know, so Andy would be in the casino walking around and like you know you know the, the, the casino guy would come up to this. So Andy, what are you doing here to see Tony? Huh? Yeah. He said, yeah yeah. I'm here to see Tony. I'm here to see Tony. Now, of course, he can't be sitting there to see Tony because you know that would give it away. Right. Right, because he is supposed to be Tony. Right. But so Andy would come in dressed as Bob Zmuda. Long hair. Yeah. And he had a beard, right? And he would sit there, you know, wouldn't look like Andy. And he, Zmuda, really Andy. This is how fucking weird this shit gets. It's like being a Did he have a Zmuda mask? No, 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 no. But he didn't look like Annie. He had a big, yeah. had a big beard and long hair. Okay, okay. You know, and, you know, you have glasses. Sl- yeah, yeah. You have glass, yeah. thick glasses yeah. on and whatnot. You wouldn't think it's yeah. Annie dressed differently. Yeah. You know, he'd sit there, you know, and he'd be sitting and watching the show, and he'd be obnoxious and say, "Hey, hey, hey, Mr. Clifton, Mr. Clifton," you know. And Tony's pissed trying to do his show. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what? You know, why is it? You know, why is it you won't tell people uh, you're Andy Kaufman? You know, and then we have, and Tony wants this man removed because he's fucking up the show. And this security now at Harrah's believe Andy Kaufman is on stage as Tony Clifton, and this guy is a real asshole in the audience, so they threw him out. (laughs) Little do you know, this is how crazy he got, that Harrah's security has thrown out the guy they hired. (laughs) Yeah. I like how you, you, you really talk about Clifton as if he's a separate guy. Well, I think you got to see, you know, we're going to have, and I wanted to mention this because we're yeah. going to do, uh, we did a movie, Tony Clifton, the movie. Right. Uh, last May, uh, Tony performed at the Comedy Store for four nights. How many people are doing Clifton now? Is it just you? Well, it's just Tony. I'm not allowed to do it now. Not when he's doing it. I'll do my impression sometime of it. But Tony's Tony. Like I said, Tony does it. The, the people who have done Tony Clifton, of course, Andy has done Tony. Uh, Jim Carrey does Tony because he does it in the movie. Paul Giamatti, who plays me in the movie, plays Tony because yeah. in the scene he has to do that. Right. In the last scene in the movie, I play Tony. Bob Zwinder plays Tony. Okay. Uh, but then you also have uh, uh, at one time Andy Kaufman's brother played Tony. But the the but now the real Tony, the legendary real Tony that you've seen on Letterman and on Merv and on Dinah Shore and all that. That is the Tony that we had at the Comedy Store last year in May, and he's recorded. I know this sounds all weird, but you've got to see this movie. Wait a minute. This is the Wait quintessential. So uh, this is uh, who, so no one's playing Tony. Tony. Tony's Clifton. Tony. Who was on the green room with Paul Provenza? That was Tony Clifton. Yeah, you, you weren't Tony Clifton. No, no. That's that's the real Tony Clifton. Wait, after all this talk, you're gonna fuck with me? No, I'm telling you, I do an impression of Tony. But you you could anybody who is yeah, anybody who sees my impression of Tony, it's totally different from the real Tony Clifton. As is Jim Carrey's impression of Tony. You know, Tony, come on, Bob. Look, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this because there is the big controversy. Is it Bob Zmuda? You know, is it who, this person? Is it that person? All I could say, Mark. And I've gone through this before with critics. People have seen the show that have seen Tony Clifton. You go to it. You go through that movie. And you tell me if that is not the real Tony Clifton. Okay. I'm telling you. That's all All I can say. Let's talk about the end of Andy's life. Because, you know, despite whatever may be real or not real in anything we've talked about today, uh, part of me was uh, really thought yeah, I had a, a, a short fantasy in my mind that you would walk up here with Andy Kaufman. Well, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you right now. And 
me sitting here with you right now, if he walked through this door, mm. right, uh, I would be surprised, but I would not be shocked because of the fact that, let me tell you about this, one of the most incredible controversies of all time, did Andy Kaufman fake his death? And I'll take it through you step by step how this all came down. It all started around the time when Elvis Presley died. Mm-hmm. That, that controversy started, did Elvis fake his death? Remember that? Yes. There was a little of some of that. So we got a window to that. And Andy, uh, Andy was thinking about this. And, uh, and one night, uh, as you know how the comics would hang out at Cantor's. Sure. I got a call about 3.30 in the morning. And I was on call when I was Andy's right. You're on call 24 hours. My girlfriend used to go nuts. She don't answer the phone. You yeah. Know? But, uh, and he called, because he was a night owl, you know, to be at the, you know. And so he might be at Canner's getting some bowl of ice cream at 3.34 a.m. Mm-hmm. So he called me. He said, it's Muda. It's Muda. I got it. I got it. This is the greatest put on of all time. Mm. I said, what? He said, I, 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 you got to come down here. I'm over at Canner's. Come down here. You know, I'm going to live in Burbank. So I j- jump in. I said, oh, Andy, it's three. He says, you know all this controversy about Elvis, you know, faking his death? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, he said, you know, could you imagine if a well-known personnel performer actually did that? Do you know how big it would be, you know? I said, so what, now you're thinking of faking your death? He says, yes. He says, Smoota, this could be huge. I said, Andy, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 stop right there. First of all, let me tell you this. First of all, it's illegal to fake your death. He said, what are you talking about? I said, people fake their death every day. I said, you're a member of SAG, AFTRA, you know, mm-hmm. Screen Actors Guild, blah, blah, blah. Uh, there's premiums paid on your death policy. You've got insurances with, through, through, through tax and everything else. If you fake your death, there's insurance premiums paid. Yeah. That's a crime. Right. You could be arrested. Right. And anybody who aids you could be arrested. Uh-huh. So I'm going to tell you this now. I think... This you and I have been for years. We've done every th- kind of practical joke under the under the sun. Mm-hmm. This is brilliant, but I must tell you right now, I cannot be involved with you doing this. I never want you to mention it to me again. Uh-huh. This is what I said. Yeah. To him. And if you're serious about doing this, you cannot mention it to anyone. Because this is real. Yeah. This is it. If you're going to really fake, you can't mention it to anyone. It's interesting. That would have really gotten him out. Oh, look at this. Yeah. And and th- so then I said, I oh, then I said to him, I said, besides that, if you think I'm going to sit there and lie to your parents, your mom is going to be destroyed. Yeah. I can't do that. But Andy, never again. It's a great idea. I got up and left the table. Yeah. That was it. And he was dead set on doing this. Now. This is where it gets weird. So a few months go by, and he was friends with John Moffat, uh, Moffat and, Moffat and, and Lee, Moffat Lee yeah. and uh, Jack Burns. Yeah. Jack Burns was one of the producers on the show. On Fridays. So he, Andy, not heeding my call, he just- This is Fridays. This was Fridays. Right. So he called up John Moffat and Jack Burns and says, I want to meet with you guys. I got something to tell you. you know. And he went there. I did not find out about this until after his death, that John Moffat told me the story I'm telling you now. Yeah. So a few months after when I dated, a few months after I told him, never don't mention it. Don't, don't, yeah. don't, well, just don't tell me about it. Right. It's a great idea. Just don't tell me about right. it. Right. He went to see Burns 
and John Moffat. Right, and Fridays was already shooting. It was on yes, the yes, air. and he had, right. and he had said to them, he said, and he came in with a Bible and yeah. made them swear on a Bible. They went to Jack Burns' basement. He had them swear on a Bible. He was like whispering, like I'm telling you, this is it. I need you to pull this off, right? Yeah, I want to fake my. And he tells them the whole fucking thing. Right to this day, John Moffat thinks he as faked his death. To this day, you contact John Moffat, he'll tell you Andy. Well, Coffin, what was the plan? The plan that well, the plan was he was going to fake his death, and then he would make an a show up on Fridays. Okay, okay, but now by the time so he's he, planning coming back after yeah, he but but the, by the time he actually dies or fakes his death, Friday is long off the air. Yeah. Okay. Now at why, the same, oh, no, this gets cra- this gets crazy. Why are you not committing to it? Either way, dies or things. No, but I'm telling you, yeah, I'm, okay. no, I'm, I'm telling you how this truthfully okay. came down. Right, this is truthfully how it came down. Okay. Now we had been working, a, we, him and I had been working on a script called the Tony Clifton story for Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he came in one day. This is where it gets weirder. And you can go online. You could, you could, and this script was written, uh, I think three years before Kaufman died and he called me up and he said we got to change the script around Tony Clifton needs to die in the Tony Clifton story and you could, I think it's page 108 <laughs> Tony Clifton dies yeah and he dies of cancer at Cedar Sinai Hospital the same hospital and the same disease that Andy Kaufman would die in 3 years later if you talk to a guy named Sean Daniels and Bruce Berman, who were executives at Universal at the time, uh-huh. they themselves, who had the script, will tell you when Andy Kaufman died, they don't believe it, and they do not believe it to this day that he is dead because he had done these things. What are the odds of getting so behind faking your death and then saying three years before you die that you died of cancer at Cedar Sinai Hospital and you really do? So that's what the controversy is and people who are into Kaufman who know this who do have keep that back. Now, I did... Uh, did you see the body? No, I did not. I did not see the body. Did you visit his deathbed? No. No. I mean, I, he, he was dying of cancer. Yeah, of course. I was, I, I was with him. I went to the Philippines when, when he went there for psychic surgery and everything. But you have to realize, Andy Kaufman would go through any lengths to pull off, to pull off uh, something like this. He would not leave no stone unturned. He'd go through chemotherapy. He'd do anything. He'd lose weight. He'd do anything to look like a ravaged cancer patient to pull off that he's faking his death. Where were you when he died? I was in. I was in my home at Burbank. He was in the hospital at Cedar Sinai. Had you visited him that day? Yeah, I had visited him that day. I went home to get some sleep. You looked bad though, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm telling you this at that point in his life, Mark, thirty-five years old. Andy had it about up to here. With showbiz, the I get whole it. the he sure. had it. He sure. was burnt out. Yeah, he would love if he could disappear. Just, yeah, if he could disappear and the whole and just be someplace else. And he was really into other things in life like meditation and whatnot. 
But it goes on. That's the fun of it. That's the fun of what he did. See, so, yeah. so all these rules get thrown out. Well, no, I like that. I and like the, the ultimate the... rule of faking your death or not faking it or be people. What greater legacy for Andy Kaufman for people to think that he might still be alive? No, I love it. Yeah. And I, but I also he did tell you to keep Tony. Don't be Cliff. a party pooper. I'm not. He no. you, he did tell you to keep yeah. Tony oh, yeah. Cliff oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah, real. Yeah. Oh yeah. Whether he's dead or not, he said. Oh no, yeah, no, no. Those are a few things he said. He said, uh, he said, get the. He said, write a book about him, which I did. You know, got a little flack from the family. Yeah. Did you get flack from anyone else? No, not really. Now you know, I'll tell you. See, there was two books out there. There was Bill Zamey's book, who's a friend of mine from Chicago, Bill Zamey, and Bill Zamey was a you know regular writer. He's he wrote, but he um, did the Goldman version. He he did, yeah, 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 yeah. He did (laughs) what? No, what he did, he. He got kind of got it kind of got away from him, and he admits it. But the difference is this: his is a biography. He talked to everybody. Mine's a memoir. Mine's just the story of me and Andy. That's it. From when I meet Andy at the comedy store to the day he supposedly dies. And, that's my book. And when the issues that the family had were around revealing sexual things. And yes, right. Intimate things that they thought was that, inappropriate. Yes, but that's it. Yeah, but right. I was going to give the. But you know, I had to because if you get into the. You, the multiple personality disorders with the Tony Clifton no, no. stuff. You got to get into the sexuality. And nowadays, you know, now if you looked, it would, you know, and it wasn't even that much what I was talking about. And also, did they I, have a problem with the movie? Well, yes, they do. They do not like the movie. Why? Because they're not in it. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, the one thing that I remember more about that movie than anything else. Yeah. You know, I find I, I have a difficult time with biopics because it's very hard for me to to yeah. see somebody else doing somebody else. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But the scene where he's in the Philippines. And he's having the psychic right, surgery yeah, yes, yes. where there's a moment the way um, Milos Foreman shot it where you realize that Andy realizes that it's a prank yes, right. and it's a joke. Right. That was genius. Yeah. Yeah. It never happened. That never happened. I mean, the, he went to the Philippines. I'm there just like Paul, like I said, Paul Giamatti plays me in the movie and you see Paul on the side there. Yeah. And when the guy's reaching and that was, uh, that was the psychic surgeon of the Philippines, June LeBeau. I knew what what the guy was doing at the table yeah and it's chicken guts so that was your point of view in the movie yeah well yeah so i saw that but at the same time i wasn't going to bust andy's bubble and say this is all bullshit but he's a he's a bright guy he's done enough bullshit of his own and he's done enough illusions of his own listen when you are when you are that desperate and uh the guy would do this and reach in you know and it'd be it's bloody and everything else yeah and supposedly pull out go like this yeah and it's a chicken gutter so you know you throw it in the the thing and then you know, he palm another one, and yeah. bob, you know, and so so, so what? Pretty basic, yeah, magic. Yeah, it is. It's pretty. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But but you know what's so funny because but oh because Andy had tumors on his brain, so the guy would it had reach in, all over his body. Huh? So the guy would yeah the guy would reach in through his skull yeah. like this supposedly yeah. just what I'm doing now yeah. reach in and pull this but he'd go three times a day. <laughs> for three for like three weeks so we re- and the guy would pull out so many tumors and we, and, and i said to lynn one day so i said lynn and he threw it in a bucket it's yeah. a very gory thing to yeah. see and uh, i mean this i mean it's so if, to, to be with andy and surrealistic let alone andy dying let alone going through this yeah this is this my world i was out of my mind i mean i was just stone drunk everything else i was, it was fucking insane it's pretty bad you know but there's a comedy side to this because he threw it. yeah so and i said to lynn i said lynn <laughs> lynn if this guy pulled out that, if you think about it, look at the he tumors he's his pulling. Whole brain. Yeah. Say his head would have been this big. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't even make sense. What was it, what was Andy like at that time? Then with you, I mean, did so, you, now, so at the time, June LeBeau figured out that this guy doesn't have long to live and tells Andy he's cured. Yeah. So Andy now goes back, goes back, comes back to L.A. 
thinking he has totally cured a cancer. Really? Yeah. Why do so you he never he... suffered where he thought he was dying, if you believe he doesn't Why do you think death. he did believe that? Because the guy told him. No, he, but I mean, but you're his best friend. Yeah. And you knew it was bullshit. And, listen, Andy was way ahead of the curve with the holistic medicine stuff, way before everyone else. No, I get it. But like you're and in this just position never, where you're like, yeah, I know this is bullshit. And, you know, and Andy. Because from my standpoint, this was it. Do you want to be sitting there if there's no hope at all? Right. Isn't it nice to go out and not be in screaming and yelling you know, and, and in terror you made that choice you oh yeah me and Lynn, oh yeah so why say this is bull what, what what's the gain out of it if he's gonna die anyway so you were saying that as a friend not as you know you 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 withheld it as a friend yeah, absolutely if the and you have to realize they also told him from cedar cyanide there's stories where people do have cancerous tumors that if you visualize right, the white right. light that you could shrink them so that's why they thought when this came out, they said, look, we can't do anything. The chemotherapy's not shrinking yeah. it. If maybe, who knows? And in some cases, people do visualize. You hear about it all the time. People are riddled with cancer, and sometimes that shit goes away. How did it affect you that when you, the day you died? Oh, it was the worst day of my life. But it was, you know, it was, uh, it was so surrealistic. Because, you know, and not only that, he's my, he's my boss. I'm his best friend. I'm his writer. You know, everything goes away. Everything goes away. Like, like you know, and, and at the same time, there was so much, and a lot of things happened at the same time. I was very, you get very angry. And people start pointing fingers at other people, you know, because you don't know what, to, you know how it is. It's, mm. it's, it's, it's insane. You just can't, what are you going to do with death? You know, and we, we don't, it's the one thing we can't control, you know, and and so therefore we're pissed off that we can't control it, you know. Uh, unless you're, a, you know, maybe a, a monk or something, and it's a nice passage. But most people, people who's, you know, I believe people say that they're not afraid of death are just lying. Everybody's afraid of death. Everybody's terrified of death. Sure. You know, just not to give it that much credence. But I was more upset because I think that a few crazy things happen around that time. And this is this is very interesting because when you're Andy Kaufman, well, let's talk about back his art again. What he did is that I had a I had a friend, a, a, a psychologist back in Chicago, who was the head of the psych department at Northeastern University. Yeah, and, we, and I was his student aide, and 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 we don't discuss Andy and whatnot, and and how Andy was really pushing the boundaries. And this guy always said to me, he said, "Mark my words, they're gonna shut him down. They can't allow this." They can't allow this kind of because it's getting crazier and crazier. The stuff that he's doing and it's 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 beyond any standard of what show business should be. As he lost his mind, you know, and it, it, this is how crazy it got to some people. Oh, he was just a lunatic. To other people, such as yourself, you know, maybe a lot of people listening to this go, no, he's a genius. And you just got to understand that. Yeah, he just was not the norm. It's right. different. He, he he broke the rules. Yeah. You know, but to other people, they don't like when you break the rules. Yeah. And so this guy said, he said, watch. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm not sure, but I know one thing. They're going to shut him down. And it wasn't too long after this guy said that to me that he's voted off a of Saturday Night Live, which is ludicrous. So the point of this is that you, there there's a conspiracy at hand? Well, well either on yeah, a cosmic well, but level. It's, but maybe it's you, all politics, right, Bob? It is all politics. And so you don't know. Hey, listen, I you know, there's listen, I I uh 
even when, when even the, the problem we have now with with Tony, we'll, we'll we'll have to you'll have to get Tony here sometime. We'll do it because there's not too much access anymore to where you can put somebody like Clifton. You know, I mean, he, before you know, he used to go on the Shock Jock Show. That's all gone. Everybody's afraid of the FCC fines and whatnot. You know, and it's just it's just, folks. It is just so bullshit out there all right now. well maybe yeah. if we pull it together we can put them on for maybe do a, like a 15 20 minute one yeah well okay if so he'll even stay in the room that long you know yeah okay well yeah, we can yeah. see what happens we can do that you'll have, fun. you'll have fun with him he'll come in drunk and he'll have a couple of hookers with him okay i think yeah. we can try that yeah well bob I, I, yeah. I i tell you you know it's amazing to talk to you you are you are managing one of the great legacies and maintaining uh, one of the great myths and uh, and I think that when people listen to this, they're going to be like, I don't know. I don't know. But that's Andy, right? Is it true or is it not? Is it real or is it not? That That's it. And the fact that, and now, and it's gotten so crazy because of this over the years that I say things that are absolutely true and people will say, oh, that's bullshit. That ain't true. So at this point, who knows? Take it, who knows? Bob Zamuda, thanks for hanging out. Thanks. That's our show. That is the man, the myth, the mouth of Bob Zamuda. Hope you enjoyed that, you Kaufman heads. I'm sure there'll be some discourse, some conflicts, some uh, disagreements about the myth, but uh, he is the uh, the legacy. He's the man keeping the myth alive, and uh, I dug talking to him. That was a long one. Yeah, it went on a while. But anyway, thank you for listening to the show. As always, go to WTFPod.com. Get on that mailing list. Pick up that that new DVD box set, two DVDs, the first 100 episodes of WTF in MP3 form. You can get that at uh, astrecords.com slash WTF, or you can get it at WTFpod.com. Pick up some uh, Just Coffee. Pow! Look out! I shit my pants. I, did, I phrased it differently there. Check out the episode guide so you don't constantly ask me who... Uh, if I'll have somebody on the show that's already been on the show, get the app. Get on the mailing list. Did I already say that? Kick in a few shekels. Do what you will. Leave a comment if you must. Did I mention I'll be in Phoenix, Arizona at Stand Up Live on May 3rd? Come out to that. Would you? Could you? Be my audience member in Arizona? Uh. <sighs> okay. Where's that pen? <laughs>